Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-729-3887. That's 800-729-BETUS. BetUS for 125% bonuses with promo code JONES22. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone and social and online sports betting kickoff started now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. You can also use the promo code JONES22 with crypto for a 200% bonus. That's BetUS.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by Outkick 360 host Jonathan Hutton as we will get Hutton's thoughts on the crazy week that was in the National Football League offseason. We'll also talk March Madness as it is conference tournament week. We'll get Hutt's thoughts when he joins us coming up in just a little while from right now. Plus, we will have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisors Group coming up in just a few moments. And we'll end the show with our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. Plenty to talk about on today's show. And the coach, Brian O'Connor, is here with me for the entire show today as Thomas Bridges is off this week. He'll be back next week. And we'll look forward to that. But glad to have Bo here. We're going to not wait around for the football fix this week. We're going to get right to it in just a moment. But, Bo, it is good to have you with us, as always, my friend. A little uh, expanded time for you this week, uh, filling the seat for uh, Thomas Bridges. And what an exciting time, as this is our first official show in our new home in Dallas, Texas, as the Jones Report is on the move once again as I have started this week for Chat Sports as an NFL host and analyst this past week and still going through onboarding and training and all that for the next couple of weeks before I officially go on air. But nonetheless, we are glad to be here. Bo holding things down for us back in uh, Lawrence, Kansas. And it's always good to hear from you. How are we doing, man? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And sorry Tom can't be here to celebrate the uh... – first episode in the uh, new digs in the new area for you but congratulations on your new move I- i'm really happy for you i'm so proud of you i've known you for so long now it's like a little brother almost and, uh, <laughs> I- i'm just i'm really happy things are going so well for you and just i'm really happy this move you've made i think this is going to be fantastic you're going to enjoy chat sports i think and you're certainly going to be a great asset to them hey i appreciate that my friend uh it's already been a great week. Uh, you know, I've been hanging out with a friend of the show, David Starr, uh, here in Dallas. He lives here, so we'll be able to do more stuff with him and and really just fully embrace being in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex and a little bit closer to home in Tulsa as well. So that's a plus, just a win-win. And Bo, you know, you're in Lawrence waiting on this snowstorm. I, I've kind of forgotten what snow is at this point. Uh, snow, never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you moved to Texas and you become an asshole Texan already? Is that what this is? I think that just comes with the territory. I mean, don't mess with Texas, right? You know, everything's yeah, every, bigger than Texas. 
everything's bigger, including the uh, the attitude now. <laughs> uh, no, you know, we got I mean, I'm in SEC area. country now, too. It just means more. It just means more. You know, I think I got to remind you of, I told you this already, you know, as long as you're in Texas, I know you can be a proud Texan while you're there. But just remember, my friend, us from Louisiana, we understand that real football is played in Louisiana. Okay. Okay. I'll give you that. You can, you know, I'm not here to disrespect Louisiana. I'm just, you know, I have no problems. I have no issues, no vendetta against Louisiana. I do have vendettas out there, but Louisiana is not one. How could you? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I got 99 problems, but Louisiana ain't one. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. We got, we're going to get some snow here soon. It looks like, and, I'm a little bit just over this shit by now. Excuse my language, but I mean, it's we're in March. It's just coming and going. Like we get, it's like 20 degrees and a half a foot of snow one day. Two days later, it's 75. Right. And then back to the snow, then back to 70 degrees. I, I, it's like being married in many ways. He just he just goes up and down, up and down. It's just right. Horrible situation. Oh man. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Okay. The weather, the weather or marriage. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Why be married when you can be single? Right. That's right. That's right. You can be miserable by yourself and not have somebody else. Make right. Not somebody else nagging on your ass and such. Yeah. Um, I have been on the road the last couple of weeks from Nashville to Daytona to Atlanta to back to Nashville and then to Omaha for a brief minute, then to Tulsa and then to Vegas. And now we are uh, settled in here in uh, Dallas, Texas, and uh, I'm glad that I just kind of get to breathe for a bit. I loved Dallas. Uh, I, I love Dallas so far. I enjoyed my time on the road the last couple of weeks, and Vegas, uh, th- there's some stories there that need to be told another day. You know, what do they say? What happens in Vegas, you know? Uh, but now that we're here, to, uh, I almost called you Thomas. Uh, old, old habits, right? Uh, <laughs> so if I call you Thomas, you know I mean Coach Bo. Um Right. So this week, not only is it my first week on the job and everything and getting settled here in Dallas, pretty exciting stuff we got to announce on Wednesday on social media. Myself and front of the show, TJ Reeves, we are going to be on the call, the national radio broadcast for the Conference USA Men's Basketball Championship in Frisco, Texas. Winner of that conference tournament championship game gets an automatic bid into the NCAA tournament. And so what a start to this new venture, this new endeavor here in Dallas, this new job with Chat Sports this week. And then we cap off all things with the Conference USA title game in Frisco. I am so thrilled. This is going to be a lot of fun to uh, be on the call for this game and working with TJ and such. Uh, it's going to be great. And, folks, you can listen to it on the TuneIn app. Check out the College Basketball Coast to Coast channel. I'm also going to tweet it out on my Twitter feed at Tyler Jones Live and also be on my Facebook feed as well. Uh, I'll have the links there so you guys can catch the game broadcast. 7.30 p.m., myself and TJ and Bo, a little inside baseball. You know, I've, I've covered a lot of sporting events, called some uh, a lot of games over the years, but – uh, this is going to be the biggest broadcast I've ever done. So yeah. I'm not trying to make it about me. I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I cannot wait for Saturday to get here and, and uh, do this game and see somebody clinch a spot in a March Madness, have their one shining moment here. 
Yeah, you know, you told me about it, I guess, was it yesterday you told me about it? And I, I was, I'm thrilled for you because I think it's really cool. I've, you know, I've known you for a few years now and I know this is just the tip of the iceberg for you. And I think it's really cool. I think you should be excited. Uh, you got every right to be excited. This is, I mean, if it was me, I'd be in your shoes. I'd be excited too. Your first national radio broadcast, you're going to kill it. I know how prepared you are for those things. I know how good you are. You and TJ are going to be great. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best, my friend. Well, it's wild. You know, nine years ago, I covered this same conference tournament when it was in Tulsa when I was in high school. And at that same period in time, I was calling high school games while I was in school for all. I went to school, Broken Arrow. And last week, I went home and I was honored uh, by my hometown. They presented me with this commemorative marble and belt buckle, very Oklahoma-esque. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and I was presented to it by my first color commentator, Steve Cowan, who was my, uh, my instructor, uh, my media teacher in high school. So that was pretty cool. And now here we come a week later and uh, doing this game. And, uh, you know, I, I got to say, you know, whether it's Steve or people like Bo and such, you know, I've been through a lot of color commentators. Uh, now, uh, now TJ is my color commentator this week. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I love TJ, but I, I don't know if he's a step up from, from Bo. I might be taking a downgrade here going from the one and only coach Bo to TJ here. I don't know. I think we, I think I stirred well for you for what we did. But I think that on the national side, I think you, TJ is going to do just fine. I think he's going to do just fine. I don't think you want me doing a national basketball game with you. you know, no, no. Jelly on the bread kind of things. <laughs> put, the, put the jelly on the bread and spread it on that basketball. You just can't get away with that in basketball. No, yeah. no. inside joke, Tyler and I. Right. But uh, with that being said, folks, uh, you know, we, we're, we're giving a hard time. TJ's great. Definitely looking forward to working with him and should be a lot he's of fun coming up. Games, but he's not good at picking football games, but he's, he's good at. at Didn't he beat you? No, 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 no. We don't talk about that. No, I think he beat I, you. I go off. I go off the twenty twenty one numbers. Twenty twenty numbers. Twenty twenty. Uh, we're gonna look at look at all of them together. Put it all together as one. <laughs> you go off the pre pandemic notes. Either that, or we just put it all together as one. You know. <laughs> we, we look at it all as one full on. I'm still way ahead. You you look at things before Rudy Gobert touched the microphones two years ago this week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's BC and there's AD, and I think there's uh, now BR before Rudy, and now we're in the uh, the after effect of that. You know, in the in these COVID times when gas is you know four freaking dollars an hour, you know, four freaking dollars a gallon, you know, and all that, and inflation's at all time highs and all that. You know, that life we're in now. Uh, we can't we can't catch a break these days, but nonetheless, we're trying to thrive as much as we can, and uh, we're rolling. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and <laughs> say that again. So we're trying to get Tyler on the come up here. That's what we're trying to do. We're all, we're all working toward the same goal. Right, right. Uh, brick by brick. With that being said, let's go ahead and uh, get right to it. Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 
0720 to schedule an appointment today. You can reach out to Bo by email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's brian with a Y, dot O'Connor at lpl.com. And you can also check out O'Connor Advisor Group on Facebook. So we get to the football fix right off the top of today's show because there's so much going on in this NFL offseason. It feels like Calvin Ridley news was years ago at this point with all that has unfolded in the last couple of days. And if you need a refresher, here has what has gone down in chronological order. First off, Calvin Ridley gets handed the suspension from the National Football League indefinitely. That means it is for next year and possibly longer as he was caught gambling on football games last year, as he was putting parlay bets. He was not participating in those games. He was out for mental health concerns, and he claims that he only bet about $1,500, and it cost him uh, about, what is it, $18 million that he would be making. Uh, (laughs) That sounds like a pretty bad bet, uh, personally, but Calvin Ridley was already on the trade block, and now uh, any hopes of that is uh, out the window now. He will not be paid, and he will not count against the cap. So, That's the situation there with Calvin Ridley. And he was caught pretty easily with uh, using an app on his smartphone and being reported back to the National Football League. He's he's in some deep doo-doo there. Then we roll ahead the next day. Aaron Rodgers says he's staying in Green Bay. Um, A new deal should be in place soon. There was reports from Rap Sheet and others that he was looking at uh, a deal that would give him four years, $200 million. Uh, but then he quickly denied that and said that it's a cap-friendly deal that it hasn't even been signed yet, hasn't even been put in place. But nonetheless, he will be back in Green Bay next year. Aaron Rodgers, you know, this whole last year, we wondered, you know, was he going to come back to Green Bay? And You know, he was playing with a chip on his shoulder when they drafted Jordan Love, only to win the MVP back-to-back years. Um, You know, there was a movement to try to cancel Aaron Rodgers, that uh, the way that people felt about his reaction to COVID and the vaccine and such, there was uh, folks that wanted to see Aaron Rodgers, uh, wanted to see his downfall. Ultimately, he responded to that with winning the MVP. And then we see him go through this process. They come up short, uh, getting eliminated early in the playoffs. But now here he is, and he's back in Green Bay as a Packer, and Devontae Adams gets the franchise tag in the process. So then that moves over to the Denver Broncos, which was option number one if he was going to leave Green Bay. They make a move to bring in Russell Wilson. They give up four draft picks and three players in the process to bring in Russell Wilson. And now the Seahawks begin their rebuild. And then we see Carson Wentz is headed to the commanders uh, to Washington after a short tenure in Indianapolis with Washington giving up two third round picks. So that is all that has happened so far in this offseason. Bo, where do we begin with you? What was your biggest takeaway from the events that have unfolded here in the last 48 hours? Okay, so we've got like four big things here. I, I think the number one thing has to be Rodgers. It's because of 
what all has happened and the length of everything. Um, I'll start with Rogers if you want to go there first. Yes, go ahead. So um, I have some thoughts on that. The Rogers thing kind of surprises me. Uh, I, on my podcast, the Coach Bono's podcast, if you get a chance to listen to it here on the Studio Subbox Network, shameless plug. Um, nice work. I, I predicted that either the, the Packers were going, I thought they were going to trade him. I thought he would be the one traded to the Broncos. Um, I also thought that when that happened, that the Packers would let Devontae Adams go. It was purely on cap numbers, had nothing to do with the actual team. What surprises me about it is that the, the Packers don't have that one owner, you know, that Jerry Jones type or that Clark Hunt type, the, the top, who sits at the top and can say, yes, the, we'll make the money work, just do the damn thing. And, you know, with, with Rodgers, I think that's part of the issue has been that there is not that one decision maker to – to make them go all in, so to speak. But this time they have. Somehow, some way, something's changed at the top of the Green Bay Packers, you know, paragon there to allow them to not only re-sign Rodgers, if they were going to re-sign, they had to do an extension. And then to put the franchise tag on Adams, I would imagine that's going to be another deal they work out so they can make it all work salary cap-wise. I would imagine they both get extensions for the same amount of time, whether it's three years or four. And frankly, to me, it's just surprising because there isn't that one person to make the decision. But it appears that someone will be able to make the decision to go ahead and spend the money and go all in with these two guys. Because really, it's both. Right. It's once you get Rodgers, you got to keep Adams. Or if you trade Rodgers, you let Adams go so you can get the draft pick compensation. Right. So that to me is the uh, surprising part, so to speak, because they could have got a huge package and they could have had a great way to reset. But instead it's, a, you know, I think the Packers are doing, I think the Broncos are doing this too. We'll talk about that in a moment. I'm sure. I think they're both taking a little bit of the Rams play card of let's go all in. Let's not worry about future draft picks. Let's not worry about where we are in two and three and four years. Let's do everything we can right now for, the, for trying to win it all. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And, you know, when I look back at this time of all that's unfolded here, Aaron Rodgers had reason to be upset from the moment that they drafted Jordan Love when they needed receiver help and he let his voice be heard of what he wanted, and they didn't give it to him. They drafted his, what they thought at the time was his replacement and such. That was when the first domino started to fall. And I think what led to this, how we got to this point, a number of factors, the Green Bay Packers were not expecting Aaron Rodgers to play at an MVP level the last two years. Aaron Rodgers stepped up. Now, he got healthier. That was a big part of it. Um, but Aaron Rodgers, when he had that chip on his shoulder, elevated his play the, the, the last two seasons. And this past year in particular, when his grievances were known, he stepped up and he played you know, the best two seasons of his career, I think, these last two years. And so um, I don't think Green Bay saw that coming out of their – franchise quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. And I think also with Jordan Love, 
he didn't look great. I know it was limited time, but the start against the Chiefs did not go well. That second half against the piss-poor Detroit Lions that he played in did not go well. They've seen him in practice. They've seen him in preseason games for two years. And one of the things I told you this past offseason was when the Packers were begging Aaron to stay and not wanting to trade him, I said to Bo, I said, you know what this means, don't you? This means that Jordan Love sucks ass, that he is bad. Because they've had, if they had any confidence in Jordan Love, they would have made the move to go forward with Love, capitalize on a rookie contract, do things the Packer way, and tra- trade off Rodgers and you know bring in a lot and build around their young quarterback. But they knew what we were all thinking. And no one in this quarterback market, as of right now, is interested in Jordan Love because they've seen that he's just he's just not a good quarterback in this league. So I think that's a big part of it, of the how and the why we're here at this point, Bo, is that the Packers realized that they were wrong, that they messed up, that the pick in Jordan Love was dumb, that Aaron Rodgers – Still had some great football ahead of him. He's, you know, he's still playing well at this point in time. And that um, they didn't expect Rodgers to, to, to play like this. And, and that's, to me, they, they also realized that they do need to give him more control, need to give him more of a voice. That you see what Tom had in Tampa Bay or what Peyton Manning had in Indianapolis and Denver, that they can give him a little bit of that. So, to me, it was all-encompassing. It was a long road to get to this point, but, Bo, here we are. And I think that although it's been a bumpy ride along the way, I think Aaron Rodgers and the Packers at the end of the day are better together than they were apart. Yeah, I agree. I think that I agree with a lot of what you're saying there. I think that the last two years, yes, the Packers did not think they had a, the, the, the guy who's going to win two MVPs coming if they were to look back two years ago, because uh, he was having some injury problems and he was getting up there a little bit, they thought. Remember that NFC Championship game before they drafted Jordan Love? Aaron did not look good. He played no, I bad. Think he was, I think he was hurt. I think he was hurt. I do too. And I think that was a big part of it. I think he was trying to figure out where he's going and what he's doing. I think the Packers were – I think the Packers did the trust the board too much of taking the best available player – and um, as opposed to, um, you know, getting in, I think you have to use, if you're doing a quarterback, you got to go for need. Um, but I also think that I, I, I don't know that Jordan Love is just awful. I don't want to put him in that category. I don't think we know that yet. But I do think the Packers know Jordan Love better than anybody else does. And they clearly don't trust him. And so this is a situation where they've said, whether it was the game against the Chiefs or the second half against the Lions, it's clearly a situation where now the, the Packers have said, okay, we're going to go for it. And we understand that we cannot trust this guy moving forward. That Because you can't – he's going into his third year of his rookie contract. He's only got four years. If he doesn't play year three – then what do you do in year four if Rodgers was only on a one-year deal? Well, now Rodgers is going to be on a multi-year deal. You might as well get what you can now. Admit you made a mistake two years ago on the draft pick, like you were saying, and then now just move on. 
I think the Packers do have to move on from, from, from Jordan Love. And I do think there'll be something out there for them to get for him. I don't think it's a first-round pick. Don't get me wrong. Um, judging by what Carson Wentz just went for, I think there'll be something out there. There'll be a team that says, hey, maybe we'll like this kid. There's a lot of teams that need quarterback help right now. And so there's a lot of teams who could take a, take a flyer on, on Jordan Love. I expect Jordan Love gets traded around the draft. Either right before it or right after, maybe on draft day. But yeah, Jordan Love will not be the quarterback. And the Packers need to get a veteran quarterback to back up Rodgers in the event that he was to get hurt. Because you're moving all in. You're moving, your, you're moving all your chips to the middle of the board now, middle of the game. And so I would expect him to sign someone like a Marcus Mariota or someone like that to come in and be the backup quarterback. I think that's important. Someone that you know could handle four to six games if you had a, an injury. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, you know, when we look back at what this year has been and starting off with that Adam Schefter tweet and, you know, I, I know that you've been all over Shifty uh, on that ball of, you know, that tweet wasn't even a report. It was a conclusion that Schefter had come to yeah. and, and everything that followed. And he you know, chose to release that and draft day and all that. I, I do wonder at all this, we have put a lot of blame on the Packers and rightfully so the Packers did screw up what was a, a happy Aaron Rodgers, as far as we know, before they drafted Jordan Love. You know, who knows? Who knows? Maybe if they draft a receiver in what was a very good receiver class that year, I might add, if they draft a receiver that year instead of Jordan Love, maybe none of this happens over the last two years. It's possible. Now, I would bet there still would have been some problems to work out, but maybe. Um, I, with, with that said, as much blame as you put on the Packers, does anything that happened in the last year or two fall on Aaron at all, though, Bo? Yeah, I think that there's I think they're both culpable here. I mean, I don't think that they're both. I think that more blame goes to the Packers for just not having a uh, a, a good foundation or a plan of what they were going to do with this. I think if you draft that quarterback in, in love, you have to have a plan in place and you need to make Rodgers aware of that. And I think if you're Rodgers, you're saying, Hey, I'm a hall of fame quarterback. Yeah. He's now a four time MVP. At the time he was a two time MVP and he was a hall of famer then. So you have to look at it and go, well, you know what? We need to get our franchise quarterback in line with this too. So I think the Packers do deserve a good bit of, uh, a good bit of the blame here just for not communicating that. And I think that goes back to my point, which has been all along that the Packers don't have great management above the general manager. Right. Because they just don't have that one owner, that one person who says, this is the one person steers the boat in the end and says, this is where we're going. Now you guys go make it happen. You know, this wouldn't have been a problem it's easy to say, I'm just going to throw the name out there. This would have been better done if Jerry Jones was the owner of the team. This would have been better if, um, you know, Stan Kroenke was the owner of the team. You know, the, the, the one alpha, the one person who's the majority owner who says, this is how it's going to get done. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, I think you're right. That's my whole point on that. I think that's why the Packers deserve a lot of the blame. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're spot on there. And, you know, they, they did listen to Aaron and bring in Randall Cobb this past offseason like he wanted. And I think that they're going to do more of what he asked for, uh, you know, in in the future here. And ultimately, at the end of the day, um, for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, with all that they've been through and such, what has not changed since this all began is the Super Bowl championship. Aaron Rodgers still only has one ring in all this. And whether Aaron was going to go to Denver, whether he was going to stay in Green Bay, whatever it may be, Bo, uh, it's Super Bowl or bust now. I mean, it. it Aaron Rodgers, I, I hate to sound like legacy guy or, or anything like that, but, uh, you know, if Aaron Rodgers before this, the end of his career, whether that's two years or six years from now, uh, something will be missing if he does not get that second ring. It's, it's got to happen. It's Super Bowl or bust at this point. Yeah, and I think that they're going to also, you know, the Packers, when they make this deal, I mean, they, they're in a salary cap nightmare right now. They, they can get out of it pretty quickly when they do the deals for Adams and Rodgers and they can clear up some salary cap stuff. But they're going to be one of these teams, and I think it's going to be especially a little bit easier now for them in the NFC no Russell Wilson in the NFC. You know, you've got Brady is now gone. Um, there's going to be some veterans that want to go play with them. I think we're going to see a lot of that. And I think that the I think the Packers are probably looking at this like the Rams were of, okay, let's see who we can get on one-year deals. Let's see who, you know, damn the, the future, you know, draft picks. In this case, they haven't had to trade any of those draft picks, but they could to make some deals for veteran players and bring some guys in. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens to try to keep Rodgers happy in these next few months as well. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Let's move on. Let's talk about Denver. Uh, within an hour, Denver trades for Russell Wilson, and they gave up the farm to bring in Russell Wilson. But now he has a new home, and the AFC West becomes the best division in football if it wasn't already. And you have three Pro Bowl quarterbacks, and then and also Rand and Derek Carr also in the division. Um, but wow, Denver has been looking for a quarterback for six years. They have failed to develop quarterbacks, um, and now here they are. They found their guy in Russell Wilson. What I wonder though, Bo, is you know the, the track record speaks for itself. Russell Wilson has been a Hall of Fame quarterback, right? Now, you can debate first ballot or not, whatever. He he is right now. If his career ended today, he would be a Hall of Fame quarterback. But I, I wonder, though, this past year was the first year that he dealt with injuries of any kind, dealt with that hand injury. And, you know, he is a shorter guy, uh, although that, you know, he's dealt with that his entire career and such. I wonder what... Denver is getting out of Russell Wilson. Are they getting a guy that can lead them to the Super Bowl? You know, is are they getting a Super Bowl caliber quarterback like what Seattle had a couple of years ago? Or is the decline about to start happening after Russell Wilson comes off the worst season he's had in a very long time here? I don't know, 
what quarterback the Denver Broncos are getting out of Russell Wilson right now. I would lean towards, Bo, that they're going to see the Russell Wilson of a couple of years ago that was a Super Bowl caliber quarterback, but I don't know that for certain. Yeah, I think they get Russell Wilson, who is the um, the, the the very, very good, I mean, borderline right now, Hall of Famer. I mean, I think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, I think they're getting that Russell Wilson. I think the Russell Wilson's past season was playing for a team that wasn't very good overall. Uh, the team that was aging pretty well, not just not just him, but the, the defense and really hasn't been run well for the last few years. And then he's hurt on top of it with a throwing hand issue. I think once you get him rested, that hand heals, I think he's going to be fine. I think he'll be invigorated by a new situation here as well. I'll tell you what about the trade to, was the most interesting part to me was that there was, you know, there was whispers of this happening. You know, if, if the Broncos couldn't get Rodgers, they were going to pivot to Wilson. And I saw some, I'm sure you saw some of the stuff too of, you know, here's what a trade could look like. And I saw what all they got. So I'm going to read this out to you. So the Broncos get Wilson and they get a fourth round pick this year. They trade Drew Locke, Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, who's a fine player. I mean, Locke isn't a whole lot. You're giving him a backup quarterback, basically. Fant's a good tight end. They've got someone they like to replace him. They're giving up the number nine pick in the draft. It's their first-round pick this year. Their first-round pick next year. A second-round pick this year and next. And a fifth-round pick this year. That's a lot. It's a lot to give up. It's like a Herschel Walker type of trade here. Yes. But – there is no franchise quarterbacks in this draft. I don't know who off the top of my head is one next year in the draft. And if you're Denver, you made that trade and, and you managed to keep all three of the good young receivers they have. They've got a really good receiving core. You got Judy, Sutton, and Patrick. They got all three of them. They didn't have to trade Chubb in the deal, and they were able to keep Sertan. Mm-hmm. I, everything I saw showed two ones or three ones with a two and either Chubb or Sertan or Sertan and one of the receivers. None of them were going to have Judy. He's too good a player. But the, the thing I think the Broncos did really well here was, yeah, they mortgaged a lot of the future, but they didn't mortgage the future with, all, with an old cast of characters hanging around. Right. They're a young team with a veteran quarterback who's 34, probably got a lot of tread left on those tires. And they've got a good young nucleus around him. That's a good roster around him. They just have they just had poor quarterback play for the last few years. And I really like some of the weapons they have. This is a place where you could fill in a couple of different people. I think that they are on the they the, the Broncos are also using a bit of the Rams playbook, a little more of the Rams playbook in giving up the bundle to get the star they needed. You know, the Packers didn't have to give up anything to bring in a star. They already had the star. But I, I think this is kind of an all-in deal in Denver as well. I think we're seeing this across the board with a couple of teams now. The Rams' success of that formula working and winning the Super Bowl is what some teams are going to follow. And I think Denver's the newest one. I think it made the AFC West really hard 
you figure you got the Chiefs who are a good complete team. The Broncos are now a good and complete team with a good with a really good quarterback. The Chiefs obviously have an outstanding quarterback. The Chargers have a very young quarterback we all think is going to be outstanding and a great young roster. You know, the Raiders are a team that have a fairly good roster, but then they have a question at quarterback, obviously there. But I think it's made it harder for the Chiefs. I think it made it harder for the Chargers. That's not that's not two wins anymore. No, the Chiefs have won tell. 16 straight games against the Broncos. That record will end this year. They'll split. I mean, if you if you beat the Broncos twice, if you're the Chiefs, you should consider yourself. Uh, they, they, that means you really are one of those 15 and two or 15 and three kind of teams. Well, but and I just don't see that happen. This is two. This is another great top echelon team. And we got four or five of them now in the AFC. Well, the Broncos right up there with the Chiefs and the Bills and the Chargers and the Bengals. And I would even throw the Ravens up there with if everybody's healthy. Think so, about this. So in that AFC West, a lot harder to come out of the AFC now. For the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, you're going to lose either Matthew or Frank Clark, maybe both of them. I think Clark's a cert. I think he's a cut. I think I'll try to keep Matthew. Right. Um, And you're probably going to bring in another receiver or true number two, like maybe Juju or something like that. But there's a good chance that the Chiefs are not as good next year, roster-wise, as they are right now. And they're bringing back Eric Bieniemy as their OC, and who knows how that's going to go this upcoming year. So with that being said, the Chiefs, they'll be good, but I don't even know if they'll be as good as what they were this past year. Broncos, already a good roster in place, but they needed a quarterback. They're going to get better. The Chargers, Herbert is only growing. They're only adding more talent around him. They're going to get better. The Raiders, I don't know. The Raiders were way better than any of us thought they were. They played better than what their roster was to get to where they were last year. I don't think – played really well last season. He did. I do not think that it is possible for the AFC West champion to be the number one seed. You can kiss that out the window. Not happen. If it's the Chiefs, if it's the Broncos, Chargers, Raiders, whatever, none of those teams can be the one seed. They're going to beat up on each other a lot. And I would even take it a step further – to say, Bo, um, it is not the end of the world if you don't even win this division in all reality. No, we've um, seen in the last two years a team going there as a you know a wild card and win the Super Bowl. But I, I think it's it's going to bang you up, though. I mean, it's going to bang you up. And I, I think the Broncos have been well built. to That team was put together really well to insert a quarterback, and now you've got a team. And then the fact, too, that they don't have to deal with Vic Fangio anymore. They have a – I don't know much about Nathaniel Hackett, but he's an offensive guy and he's not Vic Fangio, so that's got to be good for Russell Wilson. Now you have what should be a better head coach and a franchise quarterback. Watch out. I'm not handing this division to Denver yet, but this is the toughest challenge that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have ever faced in the division, no question. Yeah, I think this is gonna. This is not gonna be a. You get six wins in the division now. 
I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I think you said it best when you said the winner of that division is going to have a, it's going to be really tough to be the number one seed. It's not happening. I mean, it's just, yeah, you figure what's going to happen with other divisions. I mean, the Bengals, like they're going to be the, the best team in their division. You figure that Buffalo is Buffalo. And I still think that these two teams are going to battle you for some of these free veteran free agents as well. I, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I think that I'm not going to give it to Denver. They got to go out there and earn it. But man, adding Russell Wilson is big. It's just as big to me as Aaron Rodgers. I just think it's, I don't know that he's not going to play at an Aaron Rodgers level, but man, they're, they're a good young team. They're, they're built like the old Colts teams. They're going to score a lot of points and defensively they're going to rush the quarterback. Right. And make you make some mistakes. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be like watching eight-man football sometimes. If you've ever seen an eight-man game, right? Someone is about to score, right? The Broncos game this year, but right. it's them or the opponent. Someone's about to, yeah. And it might be the Broncos defense a few times, yeah. And, and I don't want to hear it from you know these these hacks like Cowherd and others that are trying to say, oh, the only reason why Aaron Rodgers didn't go to Denver was he didn't deal with want to deal with all those great quarterbacks in the AFC West and all that. No, I mean. The greats, the great ones embrace competition. And Aaron Rodgers, uh, I think, was fully ready to go to Denver uh, until the Packers made the necessary changes within the organization. I don't think yeah, it had anything to do with fearing competition. Um, and, you know, Russell Wilson, I think that, you know, when he looked at his situation in Seattle, you know, he was like, look, this thing's not getting any better. He and Pete Carroll just weren't on the same page anymore. Um, you know, of the teams that needed a quarterback that were built to win, this was the best situation. Russell Wilson ends up in a, you know, in a great city in Denver and with all that talent around him. Of anyone that needed a quarterback, there was not a better place to go than where Russell Wilson ended up. So at the end of the day, I think it was best for Aaron to go back to Green Bay. And I think it was it was best for Russell Wilson at this point to end up in Denver. I don't think it had anything to do with fearing competition like those hacks want to tell you. No, I think you know, say that's just being an asshole. And I think that's what the Colin Cowherds of the world are doing. Man. They're, just, they're, just being, they're just being assholes about it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Carson Wentz ends up in Washington. <laughs> Such a on-brand move for the commanders. And, Bo, this is one thing that, that confuses me here on this move, Okay. Now, I get it that this was a move pushed by Jim Irsay, and we know about Jim Irsay and his track record and such. But a year ago at this time, when this move was being made, you and I knew exactly what the Colts were getting out of Carson Wentz, that you know he wasn't going to be horrible, but he wasn't going to be great. He was just going to be average or above average. And that's what they got. He probably played a little bit better to our expectations, in all honesty. I would agree. He played better than I expected. Neither one of us have been Carson Wentz fans by any means. And he wasn't bad, but he wasn't great. Um, to me, if you would have told me that Carson Wentz played at this level this year and I, and you and that the Colts would have moved on from him, I said, really? Didn't the Colts know what they were getting into with Carson Wentz here? Um, you know, did it, it, it blows my mind that Frank Wright actually thought he was going to get 
the Carson Wentz that we saw when he almost won the MVP that year in Philadelphia. I mean, is that what it was going to take for Carson Wentz to stay in town? I mean, you had to be delusional. I mean, you might as well go ahead and fire Frank Wright right now if he, he honestly thought he was going to get that out of Carson Wentz. Yeah, you know, we talked about the you know how I feel about Carson Wentz. I'm not a fan at all. Um, I think um, when thinking about this, I agree with exactly what you're saying, that it's one of those things where if this was better than we could have thought he was that Carson Wentz was going to be, what he did in 2021. And he wasn't great. He was passable oh. because they had a great running game and that defense was spectacular. He was very good at handing the football off to Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor. They got a good offensive line. And their defense was phenomenal. Kept him in all the games. But when it came down to, as my as one of my good friends says, when it came down to nut cutting time, Carson Wentz is going to make mistakes. And when you put the ball in his hands to win the game, he can't do it. And I think that what Frank Wright thought he was getting was Carson Wentz from 2019. And Frank Wright thought he could be the Carson Wentz whisperer and bring him back to that level. And when he didn't see that, I think he saw, well, hell, he ain't going to go back to that 2019 level. And he's going to cost us way too much in the salary cap. We've got to hang on to other players because we have to be able to run the ball and play defense to stay in any game if this guy's our quarterback. So we might as well go find another quarterback and save the salary cap issue. The biggest thing I think I pulled away from this is basically the Colts got Washington to take wins. They didn't get a whole lot in return. They got two threes, basically this year's three, next year's three from Washington. Next year's three can be moved up to a two if Wentz takes 70% of the snaps. And they swapped second-round picks this year, which is basically Washington moving up from 47 to 42. Um, this is really what they did. The Colts basically sold a pick, or two picks in this case. They basically said, we'll take a, we want to take 28 million less than salary cap, and we'll give you two third-round picks. Right. That's what this essentially is. It's saying, well, we made a mistake. Let's not let the salary cap double down that mistake. Washington, you want him. Give us a couple threes. We'll swap twos with you to make it look a little sweeter. Take him off our hands. The biggest thing the Colts pulled in this thing was getting Washington to take the whole contract. Yeah. I mean, this is what the – you know, I don't even know how to describe this. I mean, to get someone to take Carson Wentz and pay him the $28 million for this year is just a phenomenal sales job. And it goes to show how poorly run the Washington Commanders are. Right. From the top down. Yeah. Um, it also goes to show how overpriced quarterbacks now are. Right. You know, in Washington's case of taking on Carson Wentz and paying him the $28 million that it's going to take here, to me, I look at this Washington team and I think, okay, how much more can he really do for this team compared to what Taylor Heineke was doing as is? You take that $28 million. I'm not saying that uh, – Carson Wentz and, you know, Taylor Heineke are comparable, but I don't think it's a huge gap necessarily. Um, 
I don't think it's a difference. You know, you're talking about what what was Heineke making? Penny. You know, he was making penny. Uh, Pennies compared to, yeah, 28 million. Uh, Take that money and spend it elsewhere and not not even necessarily bring back Heineke, but get a veteran quarterback or a rookie quarterback, whatever. You've been so much better off than what you could have been. Or if you were going to make a move, you know, go make the Russell Wilson trade or something like that to that effect. For for me, all of this just goes back to the mismanagement of the of the commanders or the football team, whatever you want to call them. Um, it, it's it's so on brand, it hurts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just pathetic. I mean, I, I if if I asked you right now, Tyler, who would you rather have as your starting quarterback, Tyler Heineke or Carson Wentz? Um, for the all price, what? All things being equal. All things being equal, I would take Carson Wentz. Okay. I, I'm not sure I would. I'm just yeah. not sure. I mean, I'm not all – I think he's probably got more skills, but I don't know that he's a better quarterback in the game. Mm-hmm. I think Tyler Heineke makes better decisions. And I, and I think you look at the salary cap issue on that, you go, wait a minute, why am I spending this much money? I think part of it is Washington thought they had to upgrade quarterback. And there's just not anybody else available. There's not anybody in this draft that's a that's a come in day one guy. You know, you're not going to get Rodgers. You're not getting Russell Wilson. You know, who's your next available guy? I think that that's what the, that's what Washington was thinking. But I think they overpaid not in draft compensation, but in dollar compensation. Right. Well, and, and here's the thing too. Um, well, in the quarterback conversation on this is, you know, the desperation for Washington. They don't get Russell Wilson. You know, obviously they don't get Aaron Rodgers. Um, but, you know, in the coming days, we should know one thing or another on Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, you have the rookie quarterbacks out there. Heck, Jordan Love's out there and such. To me, what would what stood out more than anything, not only the bad decision to pay that money to four wins and to bring him in, but what was the sense of urgency about it? This was a, a panic move to bring in Carson Wentz here. Yeah, I think it was more of a panic move by the Colts to not pay him his bonus. Uh, let me look it up here. They, they, um, there was a big bonus due for Carson Wentz coming up. On the 19th, his roster bonus is due, and it would have made his cap number go up. So that would have been dead money had they traded him after the 19th, they being the Colts, had traded Wentz up to the 19th. So I think that they're thinking, well, if we can make the deal, let's make the deal. So I think that was the big deal there. I I, I don't know what Washington's hurry was. I agree. I think if I was Washington – I would have kicked, I would have waited, you know, I mean, even now they knew today when making that deal that Jordan Love's available. Yeah, I mean, we're I no Jordan Love, Love fans either, but I would sure give him a shot before I pay Carson Wentz. Let me ask you this. Would you take Carson Wentz or just or Jordan Love, all things equal? Uh, I'd give Jordan Love a shot right now. I would too. I'd give him the one before I bring Carson Wentz. I know how bad a player I'm getting in Carson Wentz. Right. Uh, I... There's something more to this. I don't want to speculate what I think it is. Uh, there's something more to this. Yeah. 
Uh, last thing on the NFL front, and then we'll uh, bring in Jonathan Hudden from Outkick 360. Um, Calvin Ridley, who started off everything throughout all this. Um, <laughs> look, I-, I feel bad that he's out for an entire season over this. Um, but you can't not punish him. You can't compromise the integrity of the game. I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive here. I think you can feel bad and think it was a harsh punishment for Calvin Ridley. But at the same time, too, we can sit here and say it was very dumb of him and he needed to be punished. I do think it was a little harsh, though. I think both those things are true here, Bo. Yeah, I, I don't think the punishment fits the crime. And I think the biggest thing... But you agree he had to be punished, though. Yeah, that, I mean, you, right. you cannot make the mistake of gambling on these games. I mean, right. from all the things I understand, he spent it was $1,700. It was three bets. It was the week he was gone uh, from the team, yada, yada. It was done legally on FanDuel, is my understanding. Yeah. So I think the biggest issue I have with it is it's a fine line when you have the NFL cozying up to these gambling companies. Mm-hmm. You have them making deals with DraftKings and FanDuel and Caesars. And every time we watch a ball game, we're seeing these commercials. It's the fine line when every partner the NFL has in media is talking about the spreads, the lines, you know, the prop bets, whether that's on Sunday night football or Monday night football, hearing all these things that were taboo a few years ago, but now they're accepted because the, the league has these, these business relationships in place. I think that we, there needs to be a better defined, I think they need a better defined this on, on everything as far as punishment here across the board, but to say, hey, if you do this, this will be the punishment. Uh, people will point to Calvin Ridley legally gambled, did not gamble against his team for an amount of $1,700 for a guy that makes, what, $11 million a year? He's making mm-hmm. his next year. For $1,700, he... He's going to lose $11 million in income. Now, I get that, that you do have to punish him for stupidity. But at the same time, I don't think his punishment can be worse than people who have done worse in recent years. Right. And we can talk about all that separately, but I don't like the way this league in particular handles the way it punishes his players. Right. I agree. And the the pride in the idea of that uh anything you do against the league is the worst thing you can do yeah the the whole idea of it the set the entitlement of the nfl yeah it questions the integrity of the game it is this game i'm a football guy but this this game has got enough integrity issues off the field Yeah. And that's done by their own issues. This has nothing to do with the players. So I've been just a little bit of scapegoating here. I don't think the punishment even comes close to the crime. Had this been him betting thousands of dollars against his team, had he bet it through a bookie, you know, calling up a bookie in the back room, like Ace Rothstein Casino, that's different than using a legal app that your league has got a partnership with. I mean, that's, that's, 
here's what I would do is I'd go in and say, look, to these players, I'd pull them all in. I'd say, look, we've got an issue here. We do have partners in these gambling communities. We do have to worry about the integrity of the game. We're going to allow you to gamble. You can't gamble on your own team. And you got to disclose any bets you make and you got to make them through these apps. And then you go to the companies with these apps and you tell them, these people, they can't bet on their own games. And if they attempt to, we want to know. Mm-hmm. You can go to DraftKings and FanDuel and tell them, hey, you can't let a player on the Dallas Cowboys place a bet on the Dallas Cowboys game. Win or lose. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a simple situation, a simple solution to this. This is going to happen again because it's too easy. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right about that. And um, I don't think this is setting the league back when it comes to sports betting or anything like that. This was bound to happen eventually. Um, I think it opens up the conversation, though, about where we go from here and the proper punishments in these situations and yeah. and all that. Uh, I think you know, it, NFL, I think Calvin NFL. Ridley is the scapegoat in all this, that he's the one that's ultimately going to face the music in this you know, large punishment. I'd be shocked if somebody that does this gets caught doing the same exact thing, gets this type of punishment again. But um, I, I think this is, probably the worst of it. This was going to happen. I would, I would guess things get better from here. Yeah. I think it's a scapegoating. I think it's scapegoating. And I think it's, uh, I think the just the entire league when it comes to player discipline needs to be much more transparent. Yeah. You're right about that. Uh, coming up next, Jonathan Hutton, outkick 360 is going to join us as we'll talk more NFL and March madness. Then we'll come back on the other side of the show and we'll, Uh, break down the Big 12 basketball championship and look around the rest of championship week in college basketball, get you ready for the big dance next week. And we'll have our top four story of the week coming up at the end of the show as well. Stick around. You're listening to the Jones Report. Joining us now, the Jones Report this week, he is the co-host of Outkick 360. You can check it out on the Outkick Network. It is Jonathan Hutton who joins us for the very first time here on the show this week. Jonathan, appreciate the time, man. Thanks for joining us. Uh, man, what a run it's been for you guys at uh, OutKick this uh, last year, launching this show, and where OutKick's taking off, man. Thanks for joining us. Tyler, great to be on, man. Good to see you in Nashville uh, a week or so ago. Um, that's where you and I connected at the Omni. Yeah. At CRS, and uh, I was like, you asked me to come on. I'm like, absolutely. Um, and thanks for swinging by the studio. Yeah, it's been a it's been a whirlwind. So we're coming up on our one-year anniversary with OutKick, uh, which will be on March 15th, so on Tuesday. And uh, it's it's been, in some ways, a very fast year. In some ways, um, it, it feels like two because uh, you saw us at our current studio at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine right there in the heart of Nashville. Previous The, the previous six months before we moved in in August, uh, we were at uh, Blackbird Studio, which is Martina McBride and John McBride's uh, fantastic studio complex over in Berry Hill. They were gracious enough to give us a spot there. But for, like the, the year has been split up into two parts. We were there and then we're at Old Smoky. And uh, it feels like two different years combined into one. It's, it's been quite the ride. Yeah, it sounds like it. And uh, you guys, of course... Uh... You and uh, Chad Withrow and Paul Kaharski were together in Nashville for a long time. 
and you yeah. join uh, Clay Travis there at OutKick. Uh, what's that been like, uh, this venture out uh, of uh, taking a, a local show and turning it national of sorts here? Well, it's, it's given us jet fuel, quite frankly. I mean, that's, that's what Clay provided us whenever we signed with him last January. Uh, and since Fox has taken over, we, we have the jet fuel behind us now to really take off and do what we signed up to do. You know, it's, it's a lot of uh, planning and making sure everyone's on the same page, getting the staff together. It's not just the three of us. I mean, we've got 14 people behind the scenes in Nashville between producers and uh, directors and content creators and editors. I mean, there's a lot of people that, that make it all churn and work as a, as a complete unit. And uh, it's it, it's been a building process getting the, the people that, you know, want to be here and, and the people that are, are certainly capable of, of putting out and doing great content. So it, it's been fun. Um, and Clay, you know, got us going in, in this direction where we're not just radio. We haven't forgotten about radio. We still want to be uh, a part of the, the, the daily drive and commute. Um, but there are so many different ways now to consume sports talk. Uh, so many different ways to to take in country or any you know top forty station now. Uh, it's on the mobile device. It's uh, here on Zoom. Um, unfortunately, we're all too familiar with this platform <laughs> over the last couple of years. But yeah, it's it, it's it allows us to go in a lot of different branches off the tree, and and that's what the clay is all about too. We're we're not constricted or confined to one medium. We're we're able to take off and potentially. Uh, be on an app, be on a streaming service, you know, like it, Fox may provide uh, with uh, Fox Nation. There are a lot of different avenues that are still out there for us. And we're just now getting set to really take off and do it. But Clay provided the foundation through OutKick. And now everything's going to churn back through the website. And we're off to Fox, which would be really cool. Yeah. And I love what OutKick's doing. Uh, you guys, not only from the uh, the OTT perspective, but also the just the, the website and the content that's being churned out. I mean, everything from from you guys to you know Bobby Barack and Dockets and Clay and everybody. I mean, I, I turn on ESPN of these networks nowadays. It's all LeBron all the time and such. And you guys yep. are actually talking about what people like me want to hear. Y'all want to hear about you know, college football and the NFL and and these things in depth. You know, college basketball is. Uh, an afterthought for most of the mainstream until this time of year and such. And you guys have been talking about these things just all the time. Well, I mean, you know, every day of the year, we're going to talk football. Is that, you know, I, I, the most passionate fan bases, as you know, are right here in the heartland of America. It's yeah. not coastal headlines. Um, and chances are, if you are listening to uh, a national show and look that they're they're number one they're they're either told to talk about these headlines and spin off and have an argument about it or they're playing the hits nationally that draw their ratings which is going to be new york la chicago uh and you know other big markets whereas with us we're, we're playing to our base and our audience which is sec which is uh nfl fans and just straight up football fans and our goal is to be agenda free. And here's what I mean by that. Um, if you go to a football stadium, if you go to a NASCAR race, if you go to a concert, chances are you're sitting by someone who doesn't view the world as you do. And none of us care because we're there for that reason. We're there for the escape. And that's our goal here is we want to be the show that facilitates the football stadium feel 
on a Saturday afternoon where you can go in and, and watch Alabama take on Arkansas or watch Tennessee play Ole Miss or take in a, an NFL game where you're not looking shoulder to shoulder, side to side and wondering, okay, what's the argument about now? No, we're just, we're, we're, we're the sports branch of the outkick tree. And um, I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm, I'm pumped to be a part of the ride. And uh, I'm really excited to see where all this is headed based on behind the scenes chats. I, I'm, I'm really thrilled about the direction of it. Yeah, certainly so. Uh, and before we dive into too much shop, we mentioned uh, you guys got that great studio at 6th and Peabody. The, year, the yeah. Yeehaw Beer Company and the old Smoky, Smoky Brewery. I mean, I, I went in there and uh, you know, took home some of that moonshine, You know, whether it was the, the cinnamon or brought home my mom some of that blueberry pancake. I can't believe <laughs> it. I mean, what a, what a place to be every day with all that, uh, the, the great setting and uh, the great drinks and such. I mean, that's, it's got to be a dream every day walking in there. And they've, they've got it. They've got it rocking there. So I think people think that we are in a bar um, that's empty during the day that doesn't open until like 6 PM or something. And it's, it's not the case. Oh. We're, they built a studio for us beside their merchandise area, which is right across from the moonshine tasting bar. And so luckily uh, for the most part, the, the room is soundproof. When they get the bands rocking on Fridays, you can hear it outside. But outside, I mean, it's a full city block long venue. And yeah. they've got an outside concert venue. They've got the biggest indoor screen in Nashville. Um, and, and it's a perfect place to take in a game. We've got a taco shop, uh, hot dog stand, gourmet hot dog stand. On top of the fact, you mentioned it, the brewery and the distillery are right there on site. So everything that they sell is made on site, either through Yeehaw Beer or Old Smoky Moonshine. And 6th and Peabody, uh, that's the address and that's the name of the complex. Um, it's, it's perfect for us because we can go out and, and host a show with the crowd we can host pregame, postgame, and in-game parties if we want to during the week or on the weekend, uh, and mix and mingle with the sports fan because you can pregame and postgame there on top of just hang out with family and friends. It's it's a perfect spot to come hang. If you've never been to Nashville, make sure Sixth and Peabody's on the list because you're in the heart of Nashville and you're looking for places off of Broadway to go check out. That's the place I would start or finish based on the options that you have. You know, I was in radio, too, in the, in the Kansas City area, and we always dreaded when it was time to do remotes and such. This feels yeah. like the best remote you can think of every day. You know what I mean? Yes. Kind of the vibe I get here. Yeah, It's not a gas station, right? <laughs> like, we're, they're not sending us to a shell, uh, you know, uh, an hour We've away. We've been there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, you, you have people come by there, and, you know, they listen to the show, and that's cool. Uh, but we're right in the heart of it, right? People can come and watch us do the show on a, on a home base. Um, and you've got people from out of town and that, that they are, they're pre-game and post-gaming there in some cases, both. Uh, it's, it, it's cool. And, and what they're doing, uh, with the expansion, they got some expansions coming up, uh, with their venue too. Uh, my guess is they're going to take it up a couple levels, a couple notches. I, I think the, the big things there too, they've got the risk Carlton that's going in across the street from them. Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville Hotel is on the other side. And then in front of them is the Music City Center and Bridgestone Arena. Uh, there's no telling what that property's worth. Uh, but the value for us is, is also uh, priceless because of the partnership we've made. So when you're getting a drink, if you're choosing one, where are you starting with, John? 
Oh, the white lightning. So okay. if you do the um, if you do the moonshine tasting, which we've done multiple times, yeah, uh, it's it's the best bargain they've got going, Tyler, because you've got and you should have stuck around for this. So they've got it's ten dollars. Oh, you did the you did the tasting. I did. Yes. Oh, perfect. So it's it's ten bucks, and you can speak to this. They start with the white lightning, which is a larger shot of moonshine, and you they get you going on that. And when you take it, it hits you right like you're yeah. like, oh man, and you you start looking around going, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this thing because it's like seven shots deep uh, right. as you go through the tasting, and then they get you they give you a beer at the end or during so you can like uh cleanse the palate or whatever right but what they end up doing it's it's not nearly as harsh as what it it appears to be but that first when you first kick it back that's when it hits you and you're like man i i i i can you know take on a few people in the room i may not be able to you know walk out of here let alone drive out of here right and um after that first white lightning then they crank it down a notch on the level of the shot because it's all from there about the taste right and not necessarily uh, the proof right. and, and you can go through the, I mean, it, it is a kaleidoscope of colors and, and all kinds of flavors. They've got it down pat. My favorite, uh, butter pecan, okay. The butter pecan moonshine, which is seasonal. Um, I mentioned the white lightning, which is just, you know, the old faithful, yeah. um, but any, uh, I would say any of the flavors that have that jolly rancher type, uh, taste to them, you can't go wrong with them, especially the blue. Uh, the blue raspberry. I'm I'm a big fan of that. And uh, there's the, there's also this coffee mocha moonshine that they have that is great for mixing with coffee. Um, again, they they've they've channeled and circled the market. They they've figured out different ways to present their product, and pretty much any shelf you grab from is going to be a hit. You know, I went to the uh, Jack Daniels Distillery there in Lynchburg uh, the day yep. before I, I went and I met up with you guys, and I mean that was cool, but I was just as impressed with what was there at six and Peabody. I thought that was a better experience than all out in Lynchburg. And well, it's out. more, you know, it's not as uh, Lynchburg's more about the history, right? right. Uh, Lynchburg is the history of Jack Daniels, which is a phenomenal tour for those yeah. who haven't gone. Cause you can go through the, 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 their tasting process. You're not doing a tasting of the finished product. Right. You do, but you're, you're tasting the different stages of the product. There's a different, feel and vibe to that right uh where you go from bitter to you know the overall finish that you end up with with jack this is different you know th this is the the finished product and okay now pick your favorite flavor have at it right and, and th that's what i would go with I, and, and you could do the same by the way you can get a flight of yeehaw uh beer as well they've got six or seven on tap and they rotate those seasonally too now we just need to get them out to out to dallas here and uh you, you know Save me a trip to uh, the Nashville. Uh, give me a reason. They've got they've got three locations in Tennessee now. Okay. So um, who knows? Maybe maybe they can. I know you you guys though. You've got the you've got the eight beer. You've got the you got access to the, Troy, uh, Troy Aikman's Aikman. beer. The uh, the yeah. eighteen million dollar beer. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's only available in Texas. Like I, I see that can, and I'm like, man, that's that's cool if you're in Texas. But they're right. they were marketing that at, on Radio Row out in L.A. And Troy was going around saying, by the way, uh, you can only get this in Texas, <laughs> which was which was hilarious. I haven't tried it yet. I'll put that on my list. Uh, yeah, let me know. I'll make, I'll make that happen. I'll give a review on that. 
Jonathan, what a crazy couple of days it's been in the National Football League. We're taping this on Wednesday yeah. night. And as of right now, as we're taping this, Aaron Rodgers is back in Green Bay. Russell Wilson's in Denver. And Carson Wentz is in D.C. now. What were your takeaways from what we've seen out of the quarterback market so far? Well, the, let's start with Aaron Rodgers. That's where the offseason started, was on his decision. Because I think there's a chance, Tyler, if we – if Rodgers – comes in on Monday or Tuesday morning of this week and said, Hey I, guys, I'm, I'm out of here, you know, trade me. He'd be in Denver, not Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. And there's a chance that green Bay, maybe not all the way, the way Seattle has treated this trade. There's a chance that green Bay is rebuilding in the same way. Now they've got Jordan love who I don't, he, he's cheap. So maybe they keep him as a backup. Maybe not. He's tradable as well. Um, but the, the lingering thing was Devonte Adams because they needed to put the franchise tag on him and talk was they were going to do that anyway, but I wonder if they're paying him 20 million for a, a guy who probably would not want to be there. If Aaron Rodgers was not there, would they place the franchise tag on him? Um, that, so that's where the off season really started. Now that he's back, that facilitated the trade to Denver because as soon as Rodgers said, I'm, I'm going back to green Bay. Within the hour, the trade was done to to Seattle, sending Wilson to Denver. So I think Denver was in play for Rodgers. And they may have been the only team at the end of the 11th hour in play for Rodgers based on the price tag that they would have had to match on Green Bay's offer. So that's my initial thought. Wilson to Denver makes a ton of sense because Denver's terrible at drafting quarterbacks, but they're solid at going and getting these future Hall of Famers that are going to come in and win. And in that division, um, man, that, that is a great division uh, for quarterbacks and for just pure talent. There's some really good teams. Denver's got – people are already writing Denver off because of the other quarterbacks. But keep in mind, Denver had a top-five defense last season. Denver did not give up any of their top three wide receivers in this deal, really top four because Hamler's there too. They did trade away Noah Fant, but they've got a young tight end that can potentially step up uh, around the other talent and, and get things going. And then a run game that they'll invest in this offseason even more. They've still got plenty of salary cap space. I think Denver's in a good spot. I'm not p- predicting them to win the division, but I mean, I- I'm not saying that they can't either. Uh, because Wilson's coming off his first losing season in a 10-year career. I think he's really good, maybe not underrated because he's talked about a lot. Um, but, man, does he enhance that team. Denver was, what, uh, they were in the playoff hunt until about two weeks left in the regular season. I would, I would say that they're a, a playoff team easily with Russell Wilson at quarterback instead of Bridgewater or Locke. So uh, there, there's my take on Denver and it, what is going to be a packed AFC, uh, extremely extremely packed full of depth at quarterback the haves and the have nots it goes about you know it's like half and half with that conference meanwhile meanwhile Wentz gets traded um he's headed to to Washington you've got Carson the commander and uh we're all as we take this we're waiting to see what Indianapolis does at the quarterback spot and and that's the next domino to fall um, because we're watching for Jimmy Garoppolo. And if Garoppolo does not get traded to Indianapolis now, that's the big, that's the big question on where he ends up, because I think he will be traded. And the trade market kind of ends 
with Indy. Not completely because New Orleans could certainly still be in the mix. Carolina, sound, it, to me, it feels like they want they want Watson. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if not Watson, would they go Garoppolo? Don't know. Um, and then there's probably a, a a a team that no one's talking about, like Miami, that could potentially be in the mix for Garoppolo because they know him well. And then two is you know is two available. There's all these circular uh, circular uh, moving parts on the quarterback carousel that's fascinating to watch. But it all started with Rodgers. Rodgers right. staying. Rodgers staying really put everything into motion. And if he's if he's out. Wilson could would Wilson be with in Indy? You know, could would, would the Colts have ended up with Russell Wilson or you know uh, another another team, uh, uh, Washington or or Carolina? I'm fascinated by the what ifs, even though we already know what happened in all of this. Right, and with Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay, this saga that's lasted a year now, dating back to the draft of last year and the initial Adam Schefter report. What do you think changed for Aaron of what enticed him to stay in Green Bay after all that's gone down, or did anything change at all? I think they finally listened to him. You know, that, that, was, the, that was the part that he was trying to convey last year. Um, you know, it, was, it started right after they were eliminated in the postseason, after Brady beat them at, at Lambeau. And he was asked he was coming back. He's like, I'm not real sure. And I'm paraphrasing. I'm not real sure. And right. then LaFleur was asked about it at the season-ending press conference. He's like, I, I sure hope he's back. And then we went through this lull where we didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then news started to, to come out about Jeopardy and everything else. And then this whole saga started. And I think Green Bay actually listened to what he had to say and who he wanted to play with, um, and they invested in him. You know, they, they, they gave him an out this offseason and – uh, while maybe there's not a guaranteed trade clause in there, they certainly would have traded him if they, if he told them to. And, and they listened to him and then they stepped up and paid him a year later and made him the highest paid player in, in, in the NFL for the upcoming season. I mean, that's ultimately what this came down to. Aaron Rodgers got paid. And not only did he get paid, Green Bay showed investment in him by listening to the structure of the team and maybe taking into account He's not the he's not the trump card. He's not the he's not the general manager. He's not Gutenkust, but uh, he's the franchise quarterback and he's the back-to-back MVP. So I, I think they started treating him like that. Now I, I will say it's it's time to go win. They're a Super Bowl contender with him on the roster and they know it. Um, but man, they've won a lot of games without much to show for it over the last three years. Rodgers knows that too, and I think that's part of the. The reason why all this went down the way it did over the last season and a half, but Green Bay's still in a great spot because they've got Devontae Adams under at least a one-year contract, and they have the best player in the NFL and Aaron Rodgers right now back under contract with no issues going to the offseason. Well, one thing I wonder too, Jonathan, is you look at Jordan Love, who did not look great against Kansas City in his one start. No. And then that second half that he played against the Lions didn't look great either. How much of it do you think it had to do with Jordan Love of not being the guy that the Packers thought they drafted a couple of years ago? Well, it, a lot and a little at the same time. So let's rewind to last year. I don't think they felt like when they drafted Jordan Love that the season after that, Aaron Rodgers was going to go out and win MVP. 
and have 100%. one of you know you know what I mean like yep. they didn't feel like he was they knew he was great they knew he's a future Hall of Famer I don't think they truly believed when they invested in him that it was going to go down this way invest in love I'm saying they I think they felt like they were going to get another year out of Rodgers and then turn things over to Jordan Love and trade Aaron Rodgers or the contract expires and Rodgers leaves they've got themselves set up for the future and instead Rodgers was the MVP they went to the NFC championship game had the number 1 seed and lost should have won um if not for LaFleur making the bad decision right i mean they right. they became the butt of the joke and i think they looked around and said we've got to we've got to run this back the window of opportunities wide open and this dude speaking of Rodgers just had a career year like uh, outstanding season hands down mvp and we've got a rookie who didn't really play in the preseason because of covid you know they didn't see him and so I, I think all of the the practice restrictions and everything played a huge factor in it but they clearly think that he's really good or they wouldn't have traded up to get him in the first round so there's that, and then there's this season where he follows up what he did with another MVP for performance where, I mean, at that point, he's got them. Like, you either take advantage, no matter how good Jordan Love is, he's not you're, – you're, you're taking a step back if you move on with him instead of Aaron Rodgers. That's what Rodgers did. He performed to a level that no matter who you are, you can't match. I mean – other than Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and a handful of other guys. And I'm, I mentioned the, the two that were in the AFC championship game. There's not many. I mean, the, the guy that Rogers was across from in San Francisco, they're not talking the same way about him uh, and Jimmy G as they are with Rogers. And they've got, they drafted the young guy because they know they're probably going to be better with Trey Lance. That's not the case in green Bay. And they knew it. And at that point they had to invest in him. They made the right call. And what I'm curious about now is, do they trade Love or do they keep him on the roster? Because he's very cheap. Right. He's under a rookie contract. There's value there. Um, this, is a, this is an organization that's going to be up against the salary cap. So you're not going to go sign another veteran that, that's going to cost you less than what you're paying Jordan Love. I, I, I would almost... I would hesitate to trade him. I think a lot of people are, are jumping on that boat because of the investment they're making in Rodgers. But I think Jordan loves a good backup for Aaron Rodgers and he knows the system. I would stick with him and, and roll the dice and see what happens. You don't have to pick up the fifth year option on him a year from now. Right. And, and next year you can trade him and move on when you have better salary cap space. I think he's a valuable commodity to them right now. And if they trade him, that means they're getting some type of pick that they just could not pass up. And, and, and a team trading for him is going to make him the starter. A team trading for Jordan Love would be like Indianapolis, who's right. in, immediately going to start him. I, I don't know if that team's out there. Right. I think Jordan Love could get a decent offer if there's somebody in the draft that didn't get the quarterback they wanted. If things yep. didn't fall in line, potentially, maybe you have that offer for Jordan Love that you were looking for, potentially. So. We'll see how that goes. Let's move on and talk about Denver and Russell Wilson. That trade, Denver gives up a lot. Some people are calling it the biggest trade in NFL history. Jonathan, do you think they gave up too much for uh, for Russell Wilson there in Denver? Um, I'm, I'm hesitant on that because of what – I mean, they, 
they know that I would say yes on paper. The answer is yes on paper. But honestly, you know, if you're in the front office, whether or not you're a contender or not, you just know. They knew they were not. And as good as their defense was, and they've got young talent and Jerry Judy, who is a year or two away from getting a contract extension, uh, or at least you hope so. Cortland Sutton, who they've invested in already, they've already paid him that second contract. Um, KJ Hamler, I mean, they've got Tim Patrick, who they just re-signed last year, I believe. They've got a core group of receivers that really weren't doing what they're capable of because they didn't have any consistency at quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater's okay. You could back up or a good starter half the time. And that's about what Denver was. They were good half the time. They they were 7-0 and with Teddy Bridgewater when he had a quarterback rating of over 100. And they were 0-7 when it was beneath 100. Like that that was how, – however Teddy Bridgewater was playing, that was it. And then if they put Drew Locke in, they were turning the football over. And so I think just 30,000-foot view, you can kind of tell if you're a contender or, or if you're not. And in that division, the Chargers are up and coming. The Chiefs are the standard, and you've got Vegas who just hired McDaniels, and that that organization made a great run after Gruden had to step down. I mean, they 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 go on the road and had a chance to beat Cincinnati in the wild card round. Didn't, but right. I mean, they're, they're ahead of Denver. So all that being said, I think they made the right decision. They got the best quarterback available on the trade market, period. Right. They didn't go trade for Carson Wentz after Russell Wilson went somewhere else. They didn't trade for Kyler Murray, who thinks he's great, but he's just really good and hasn't earned that great status yet. And, you know, they, they didn't go and get Jimmy Garoppolo just because he wins twice as many games as he loses as a starter. They went and got the proven guy that's played in two Super Bowls that beat that organization in one of them. And, you know, that – that has had a winning season in nine of 10 years in Seattle yeah. and is a proven, proven leader who you have no qualms about off the field. None. Um, now the same, you, I could make the same argument for Deshaun Watson, who's going to win games and is a top five quarterback athlete, but I can't say that he's going to play for you. So they made the right call. And if you're in it to win it and you, you've got a new head coach, who's not feeling any pressure, You've got a general manager who's going into year two. He's not feeling much heat, although he probably wouldn't admit that. He's probably saying, I got to win now. That's an organization that's closer than what many people think. And I think they've looked at what LA did and won the Super Bowl. And they said, why can't we make a move in a splash that says we can go out and compete on a weekly basis? That's what Denver did. So what's the cost of that? We'll see. But I mean, if, if, um, if Wilson stays healthy and, and performs to what we know he's capable of, and he's not running for his life like he was in Seattle, I think it's a win. I, I, I don't sit here and think that they gave up too much, even though on paper you take a step back and you're like, man, this will go down as one of the biggest trades in NFL history based on what was given up player-wise and compensation-wise in draft picks. Yeah, last thing on the uh, quarterback front, then we'll move on. Uh, the Carson Wentz move to Washington. Uh, I don't know about you, Hot, but it feels like this was so on brand for Washington of 
finding another average quarterback. I know that they end up giving up, you know, two second, two third round picks rather for him. And they're going to take on his contract and such. But um, how much better off are they today compared to what they were with Taylor Heineke? I mean, Carson Wentz just hasn't been that guy since that MVP season he had, MVP caliber season he had uh, before the uh, ACL injury there. Well, this is where NFL wins are not created equal. If, if Carson Wentz performs the way he did last year in Washington, Washington will either win that division or they'll be in the postseason. So it's an upgrade for them. They, they won seven games with Taylor Heineke, and you've got Wentz who just won 11. Now, they, they, uh, they lost on the road at Jacksonville again. I, like, I'm, I'm not saying that Wentz is some Super Bowl contending quarterback. Right. But in Washington, I think it's an incremental step forward for them. I, I think it's uh, – in some case, fans don't like hearing this. Fans, fans love trades and moves to win now. Um, this is a win-now move to get them in postseason contention. Is it a Super Bowl move? No. No. But is it a move that could save Ron Rivera's job? Yes. Um, and it, what's, what's ironic about the move, Frank Reich, if, he, if, they, if Ballard and Reich kept Wentz, and by the way, they, they couldn't because Ursay didn't want him. If they kept Wentz, they know they're fired. I mean, they're not going above what they did this year. Do they make the playoffs? Sure. But do they actually win, like win the way your owner wants you to? No. And they knew that. But meanwhile, in Washington, if you can get what the Colts did last year, you may, you may beat Dallas uh, in, in the divisional race. I mean, that quarterback group is nothing like the group we just talked about with the AFC West in that division in the, in, in the NFC East. So therefore I don't think it's a terrible move for Washington. It's right. It is on brand where they miss out on a couple guys that they could have had. Um, it sounded, by the way, there was a report out that Seattle was talking with Washington. They wanted chase young in, in return. And Washington said no for Russell Wilson. And they end up making the trade to Denver. Um, Washington made the right call. I wouldn't trade chase young for Russell Wilson. Um, but can you, can you bridge the gap with Wentz, find someone in the draft, um, and potentially have that guy challenge Heineke for the number two job and then eventually take over for Carson Wentz? Yes. And so I think, I think it made sense, even though we, they didn't become Super Bowl contenders with this move. No one's saying Washington's all in, right? But Washington is trying to win, which I think is important. Yeah, I think you're right about that. We'll, uh, we'll end the NFL discussion on this. The team in your market uh, there in Nashville, the Titans, sticking by Ryan Tannehill. We know that they have weapons on that offense, but still came up short, did not get to the AFC title game last year after having the best record in the AFC. What do you expect the Titans to do to get better and try to improve? We're, we're, what's the goal for the Titans uh, this offseason here in these coming weeks? Well, they couldn't trade Tannehill because of the, the cap number. They, they were going to, he was going to count upwards of 30 million, a little bit less than that, but around 30 million in, cap, in a cap hit, a dead money hit if they traded him. So uh, if this were next year, I, it's a much more uh, ease on the cap if you trade Tannehill then compared to now. 
Um, part of part of the cat pit, though, is Tannehill doing the team a favor in, last July whenever they traded for Julio Jones. They they restructured Tannehill's contract, and that pushed it down the road a bit, and it led to them having a contract where they could trade him, but they were going to take a cap hit where they just couldn't afford. Right. So um, I, I think they know that they can be really good with Tannehill quarterback. I think they also know that Tannehill has been really bad in the playoffs um, for the most part as a starter, and especially the last two starts in the postseason, both losses at home, uh, 2021, January 2021, lost to uh, Baltimore. This year, uh, a loss to Cincinnati where they sacked Burrow nine times and only allowed 19 points. It was one of the best defensive performances, not just from the Titans, but what we've ever seen in the postseason. That's how good that Titans defense was that day, and they lost because Tannehill didn't come to play. Played small in a big moment, and that's what they'll be defined by next year. That's not the regular season. Um, they, they're, they're beyond – winning divisions now They're, they are now a super bowl or bust type team and and that's that's not a knock that is a compliment to what they've built but what they've got to do Tyler, they've got to put weapons around him they've got to have more than aj brown show up on a weekly basis and make plays um they traded not traded they they lost john U. smith to free agency they lost Corey davis to free agency last year but they didn't really try to keep him I, I they've got to get more weapons where Tannehill is really good tight end and a, a consistent number two receiver. And then a third option that is consistent enough to get you 40, 40 receptions in a year. They didn't have that guy and they've, they've got to get back to that. They're going to invest in that in free agency. They will invest in that in the draft. Um, and I would lump tight end and wide receiver together and just say offensive skill position weapons. Um, that's how they get better. That's how they improve. Because the last two losses, Tannehill hasn't played well, but the other thing that teams have done, Baltimore and Cincinnati shut down the run. They shut down Derrick Henry in the right. playoffs. And when that happened, Tannehill was asked to step up and make some plays, and he didn't. Um, make some throws, and he didn't. And while it's not all on him, I can point to the interceptions and say that those absolutely were. So it's a, it's a mixed bag for me. Um, they, they were handcuffed a bit with the contract, uh, and now they've got to go find some contracts that work underneath this cap that put some weapons around Tannehill that make this team better than what it was last year. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, Jonathan Hutton, Outkick 360, joining us here on the Jones Report this week. Uh, let's transition, talk some uh, college hoops now, Hutton. Uh, this weekend, conference tournament week going on, already underway, and everything kind of wraps up on Sunday with Selection Sunday, leading into the uh, Selection Sunday with a championship week, hell of a week. What stands out to you? What are you watching for this week, Hutton? I want to see if the SEC lives up to the hype of being the top conference tournament. Um, and some, some may laugh at that. I, I am all on board with this tournament this year. And we, we, we're a, four years removed from them getting three teams in the NCAA tournament. And now they've got four teams that could win their tournament and could be a, a huge threat. All four of their top seeds can be a huge threat next week in the NCAAs. Um, Kentucky is 25-5 and five since their season opening loss to Duke. 
And I think they are the best team. That's no surprise. We expect Kentucky to be, but it's how that's how they are. They 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 get down, but they have this NBA like run with them on a on a minute to minute basis where they can go on a five minute stretch and put up 15 points and get the game back within a couple of points if they're down big, or they have all of a sudden you look up and they're up seven after they were down nine. You know, that, that, that's what they're capable of. They're really good. Um, Arkansas, I think, might be the best coach team in the SEC, mm-hmm. and they can get after it. I, I really love watching them play. Um, Auburn spent time as the number one team in the country. And Bruce Pearl gets the most out of his group, and they're they're extremely talented. And then there's Tennessee, who, yes, they have seven losses on the season. All seven teams that they lost to are going to be in the NCAA tournament, and they're playing some of their best ball right now. So those are the top four. And then, I mean, we're not even getting to Alabama, uh, LSU. LSU was ranked 12th in the country at one point. They have wins, uh, some really solid wins over Kentucky and Tennessee and others. Um, it, it's a very deep conference this year for the tournament play. And I'm fascinated to see which teams outside of the top four make a run and pull some upsets that maybe we weren't expecting. But if it's chalk and we get the semifinal matchups of Tennessee and Kentucky and Arkansas and Auburn, we're in for a treat because we've already seen a couple buzzer beaters. But I think that this is a marquee style tournament that's going on in Tampa I won't say they'll be they're being overlooked because of the SEC but I did not expect the SEC basketball tournament to be this competitive this quickly after the decree from Sankey that teams are going to make an investment in this sport they, they've done so every, you can argue every team has improved or tried to even Georgia um, even Georgia who tried to hire and spend money on Tom Crane it didn't work Right, but even Georgia was investing in basketball, so I'm, I'm really, I, I'm really pumped to watch the tournament play out over the next couple of days. Well, you mentioned that investment, and you know the two best basketball conferences right now, I'd probably say, are the SEC, the Big Twelve, and yep. you know the Big Twelve has potential two one seeds in Baylor and Kansas, and those are football conferences primarily. That football money mm-hmm. feeding in to those basketball programs. Meanwhile, the ACC and the Big East, your traditional, you know, conferences that we usually talk about the last, you know, 20 some odd years when it comes conference tournament week, those conference tournaments are afterthoughts compared to the football conferences. I don't find it a coincidence, Hunt, that the conferences with the football money, you could even add the Big Ten to this too, are the ones their basketball's paying off for them right now. Yeah, I mean, I think you make a great point about Kansas. People think that Kansas basketball props up football, and it's the opposite uh, right. with the money that they bring That's in. That's where it's, I it's went. Crazy. I, know, I know firsthand, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to, to know that. Like, when you see it, you're like, there's no way. But it's true. Kansas football brings in the money uh, that I won't say props up Jayhawks basketball. They've got a national brand. But the revenue is coming from football and those television contracts. Yeah, you're right. And – um, I, you know, I think at first, at first glance, a, a handful of years ago, um, and just doing the show in Nashville, Vanderbilt was down. Tennessee wasn't all that great. Rick Barnes had just got there, but they had been through some lulls after Bruce Pearl and uh, Conzo Martin was out. 
there there was this feeling a malaise like eh, it's a football conference who cares like you know we'll get a couple teams in but Sankey just was not having it. he was he, there was a decree at the at the SEC meetings um down in 30a where he came out and said like look we this is a demand this is not like a vote of everybody go in and do whatever you want to you, if you want to keep it status quo you can it was the opposite. It was like, hey, we're we're getting into some big television partnerships now. Uh, we've got the football television contract coming up. And on top of that, we have SEC network programming we need to fill. And we need to fill it with the best possible content. Well, the best possible content on a Wednesday night for the SEC tournament is not all that great. Opening round games in tournaments are not great, especially whenever you get double buys involved. Right. But – the, the product itself has really risen, not just a notch or two, but a way above the rim from where the bar was set, uh, just 2017, you know, um, and where you kind of knew going into the tournament, the result before they even tipped off on Wednesday. Right. Were just yeah, may, Maybe a third or fourth team, maybe the fourth team in the conference becomes eligible uh, for the NCAA tournament selection committee. And now you're arguing over teams eight and nine. You're arguing over the nine, the nine seed being the Florida Gators. Um, you're arguing over them and whether or not they're, they're tournament worthy. So it's, it's a vastly different landscape now. And I think conferences, especially the commissioners, realize the money involved in the programming that these big networks are, are wanting and needing to fill and the money they're willing to spend. You can get, former football type money on a basketball television contract now because the football contracts and the TV markets are through the roof on what they're spending over a 10 year period. You can still make millions off of the basketball schedule as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Last thing. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up here heading into next week. You know, last year tournament time, we were talking about Gonzaga and Baylor, how much, Yep. They had separated themselves from the rest of the field, and that turned out to be when it was all said and done. This year, there's no elite teams, it feels like, in college basketball. There's a lot of good teams, but maybe not the elite teams like we saw last year with the Gonzaga and Baylor. Who stands out to you? Who are the, the teams you think that are going to be uh, to beat come uh, tournament time here starting next week? I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'm picking one of those top four teams in the SEC to make a run to the Final Four. Absolutely. And I, I think uh, the lowest seed could end up being Tennessee of that group. We'll see how they do this week in, in Tampa. But I think Tennessee's capable. I've been, I've been very brash on Tennessee the last couple of years. You know, they lost to Oregon State in the opening round last year, and FanDuel took a lot out of my uh, bank account because of that. But uh, Oregon State's just finished, what, like a three-win season. I mean, they're awful. Tennessee's better than they were a year ago. They've got better guard play. Uh, they're they're not as much with the the mid range jumper anymore. They're 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 not settling for things around the free throw line. Um, I I just like the the construction of the team. Um, I, I'm I'm betting on Tennessee again, Tyler. That's what I'm saying. Uh, but it's it's Kentucky, uh, and I, for whatever reason, I just don't bet against Mark Few and Gonzaga. Like I, um, I'm I'm always going to ride that train. Um, until it bites me again. And, and last year it did, but it bit in the national championship game. I, I still like them uh, because they're just so well coached. And it's hard for me to pick against Kentucky 
because of their way they're constructed and the talent that they have to play with literally anybody. Uh, they can they can match certain styles, and as long as they stay healthy, I think they're fine. I think they're a team that they can be down 15 points, and going back to what I said, and make an NBA-like run where quickly erase that deficit. Um, Duke's interesting, too, because I think they learned a lesson of facing – uh, not 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 the heat, but the all eyes on Cameron Indoor last weekend when they lost to Carolina. Right. Um, and I, I don't think they they're not an easy out just because people saw them lose in Coach K's final game at Cameron Indoor. Right. Um, he's not going out easy either. And I, I point to Duke as well. Duke will be advancing in my bracket fairly deep as well. But right now, I mean, but before I see any of the matchups, I'm circling Gonzaga at the top, but I'm, I'm telling you, uh, the top four teams in the SEC, based on matchups, I want to see the brackets come out. Uh, they all four have a legitimate chance to make a Final Four run. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, Jonathan, before we let you go, uh, tell people where they can uh, check all out, check all your stuff out, and uh, listen to Kick 360 and all that, man. Yeah, man. So uh, it, real simple on on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. Just search Outkick 360. You can also just go to Outkick.com. There's an Outkick 360 tab. You click on that. It takes you to our content. Or just hit the uh, link in my bio at Hutton Outkick. And literally any platform that we're on is on that link. Uh, if you follow the Outkick 360 tab from the link in my bio. Uh, any podcast platform, streaming platform, radio stations, everything. Uh, it's all available on the uh, Linktree uh, link that we have in the Twitter bio. So give me a follow and uh, I would certainly appreciate it and, and hope people check out the show and, and give us some feedback on it. Yeah, it's a great show. Everybody needs to listen uh, if you get a chance. Uh, I'm listening in the office while I'm getting my work done uh, throughout the day and uh, certainly appreciate you joining us, uh, Jonathan. We'll have to have you back on again uh, in the future. Thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. And next time you're in Nashville, swing by. We got the moonshine tasting ready for you again. I'm ready. We'll bring it on. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. Let's go ahead and continue the March Madness discussion, as you heard towards the end there with, with Jonathan Hutton uh, here on the Jones Report. I want to focus on the Big 12 front first. Baylor and Kansas, according to Lenardi, as we're taping this right now on uh, Wednesday night, and as you're listening to this, you may already know some results, some outcomes, and uh, things may have changed since we're bringing this to you. But at this point in time in the Big 12, Oklahoma – or not Oklahoma, Kansas. Used to talking football around here. Kansas, the one seed in the Big 12 tournament. Baylor, the two seed. Co-Big 12 champions – both of them would be one seeds, according to Lenardi, if the NCAA tournament started today. But, Bo, I'm looking at it this way. With them sharing the Big 12 crown, with both teams being on a razor's edge of that one line, you have about, you know, seven teams that all this week could end up on the one line when it's all said and done. I would look at it this way. I think it's pretty safe to say, realistically, the winner of Kansas-Baylor uh, in the Big 12 Tournament Championship game, assuming they both get there, 
gets the one seed. I think that's what this comes down to. It's hard for me to imagine. It may be both these teams get the luck that they need and both could still up, end up one seeds. But based on the way that Kansas played down the stretch and that lull that Baylor went through before the way they finished the season so strong, um, I, I just it's hard for me to envision both of them getting the one seeds. I think it comes down to a Big 12 championship game on Saturday night. Winner uh, wins the Big 12 tournament and uh, takes home that one seed. Yeah, I can see a situation where they both get a one. If you get them both to the championship game, you have a you know two, three-point game. They both play well. It's a very competitive back-and-forth game, and they get some help. Um, you know, I think Duke losing to North Carolina this past week helps. Um, you know, Duke's going to have to get through the ACC tournament. They're going to have to dominate that tournament, I think, for them to be the one that pops up. And you got Kentucky and Auburn sitting there. If Kentucky and Auburn were to both make a run to the SEC championship game and one or the other dominate the other, I think Kentucky's the better team right now. I can see, especially if Kentucky is that team, it can be be difficult for Kansas to get the one if they were to lose to Baylor because Kentucky beat Kansas in a dominating way. Um, I mean, there's very little room for error for the one seed. Um, I think that, again, it comes down to a little bit of help, but Kansas and Baylor are going to have to go to the championship game. And you, if you win it, if you go and you win it, you're in. You know you're the one. Right. If you lose that game on a basket, on two baskets, you know, you're going back and forth, you get a little help in the SEC tournament, maybe Duke doesn't play as well, maybe then you can get in. But uh, I think it's also going to depend on those two teams in the, in the South. So see what happens. But I, I do think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. They're both quality teams. They both deserve a one. And I just think we got five or six teams that all can do – they're all capable of being a one. I think Gonzaga, Arizona, Kansas, Baylor, Kentucky, Auburn. I could even argue Duke. I may even argue Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's probably the one a little further back than the rest. Um but I think that you can make an argument. I mean, Gonzaga's in already. They won their conference tournament. They're in. I don't see anybody beating Arizona going to their tournament. So now Kansas-Baylor will see what happens. It'll be interesting, and it should be a fun tournament when those two get to the championship game, um, assuming they do. Who do you like better right now, Baylor or Kansas? I actually – I lean towards Baylor, and I know that that's not going to make Kansas fans happy, and I get it that – Three weeks ago, Kansas beat Baylor by 30 points. I know that. I, I was there. I saw it happen. But what do we tell you at this time of year? Guards win in March. And right now, Kansas does not have the consistent point guard play right now. Bill Self has not let Remy Martin, the reigning Pac-12 player of the year, loose and play that point guard position to his potential. And I think it's holding that Kansas team back. And, you know, to me, I don't think that Kansas could make a deep run without Remy Martin and what he brings to that point guard spot. I can't trust DeWan Harris or whoever running the point and for Kansas to make a deep run. You got to have Remy Martin to do it. And Bill Self's not letting Kansas do that. Uh, a kink Joe from Baylor, their point guard, you know, he's averaging – 14 points a game. Flagler at shooting guards averaging, you know, 19 points. 
The mayor is good. You know, he's got nine. He's averaging nine. Flo Famba at center is averaging 11. Kendall Brown's averaging 11 as well. I mean, that Baylor team has played a lot better the last couple of weeks. They have the bigs. They have the guards. Uh, I lean towards Baylor. I like that Baylor team a little more than I do that Kansas team. Kansas, we've said, when they're playing at their potential, they're as good as any offense in college basketball. But they have never gotten Remy Martin involved to the capabilities, to what he's capable of. Uh, you know, David McCormick is so inconsistent. And, you know, when he faces a, a big-time big, you know, he crumbles at times. Um I got to ride with Baylor, given the choice. Who would you pick, given the choice, Baylor or Kansas, Bo, to ride to through uh, the month of March? I'm not the best person on this, but I think I would tell it Kansas. I just really? think that I do. I think that I just – I think in the Big 12 tournament, I like them. I'm also going to have a little bit of a home court advantage there at T-Mobile Center. You know, you're Kansas City. It's a very big KU uh, feel to it. I think that makes a difference. There'll be some excitement Saturday for that championship game for that. Uh, it'll feel like a home game in many ways. I, I I tend to think that they're both, I mean, they're both just really good. I mean, these are two teams that can easily make a run and you can bet on could make a run all the way through the end of, of, of the big tournament. And I just, I think that to me, the fact that Kansas has beaten Baylor, did beat them big early you know, within the last few weeks. And in that game being in Kansas City, I think it's going to be a bit of a home court advantage. Self has always seemed to understand as a coach what it takes and knowing that he's going to have to. What I love about Bill Self is he knows when to dial it up and when to turn it down. I've noticed this, and I'm not a Kansas fan, so to speak. I'm Jayhawk adjacent, as I say, as I like to say. But one thing I've always respected about him as a coach, he knows when to let his team lose a game earlier in the season to where they then have to listen to him. He'll let them lose that close game where players are trying to be their own thing instead of being a team. And it's because when they get to situations like this, when they get to the Big 12 tournament and they know they have to win the tournament in order to get the number one seed and how important it is to get that number one seed. And he's telling his guys this right now. I think that they understand it and they believe him and they can let him be the coach that can lead them there. I think that's, I think it's big. I think that's why he's a hall of famer. I just, I, to me, I'm going with Kansas for that reason. And I think that they have, they have, they've had Baylor's number. And I think that that's going to be a home game. And I think those guys will be prepared. Yeah. I mean, I see your point completely. And I don't disagree with any of them. Don't disagree right. with any of it. And Baylor may be a better team with the guard play right now. You may, I have seen that in what limited amount I've seen. I've seen that the, the Kansas does not play well at guards. But right. they've got a couple of guys where you just go, wow, this, they can do some things. Right. I mean, you got Ocha Baji, who was the unanimous Big 12 player of the year at that shooting guard spot. And, you know, Christian Brown, of course, playing the three, and he's had a really good year. He'll be a first-round pick. But who's going to get him the ball? I mean, we were just yeah. talking football a few moments ago. You can have all pro receivers, but if you don't have a quarterback, what do you have? You know, I mean, that's what Kansas is looking at. They don't have that quarterback right now to get these guys 
the ball like they need to. Uh, you know, they're not giving Remy Martin the time he deserves. So that's what holds me back from picking Kansas to have a, a deep run right now as uh, comp- compared to a Baylor at this point. But uh, we'll see what happens. Big 12 tournament should be a lot of fun there in uh, Kansas City uh, here uh, this weekend. And, and uh, you know, the, the SEC tournament uh, going to be good as well. Um, you know, I, I think when you, you break down the numbers, uh, the Big 12, you're looking at what, what's interesting this year about the Big 12 tournament is that in years past, we've talked about this week of, okay, if this team gets an, a win or two here and there, then that's going to help their seam line and such. With the Big 12 tournament only being nine teams this year, with Oklahoma State not being eligible, Oklahoma, who's the only borderline team, has to play Baylor game one, and they have to win the entire thing to get in the tournament. And, I mean, it's just not happening. So, I mean, there's no controversy this week of, okay, these teams have to get wins to help their resume and get in. At this point, everyone's playing for seeding, uh, which is different than what we're usually talking about in uh, the – a Big 12 tournament. You know, the SEC has got six teams right now, but they could still get eight teams in. That's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, yeah. the Big East, you know, has got uh, looking like a 17 league. The Big Ten's looking like uh, an 18 league at this point. You know, the Pac 12 uh, have high expectations after sending all those teams to the Elite Eight last year, Elite Eight and Sweet 16, but they're only a three-team league. The ACC is down this year. Duke uh, is going to be carrying the flag for that conference, and Duke has not played great. You know, getting uh, Coach K getting embarrassed in his final game at uh, Cameron uh, was, was quite comical. I, I had a good laugh about that happening. Um, I did, too. We say all this to say, Bo, that – uh, I think this is going to be a very good year for your Cinderella's of sorts, um, for those mid-majors to make that run. And I don't even count Gonzaga, because at this point, Gonzaga is is like the blue blood of the Pacific Northwest. Um, Gonzaga is their own thing. But, you know, there's no great teams this year in college basketball. There's a lot of good teams. And that opens up the door for those mid-major conference teams. You know, like I'm going to do this conference USA championship game on Saturday. Um, you know, Middle Tennessee State's had a really good year. You know, some of the teams in that league. This is a year where like a conference USA champion or something of that sort makes makes the Sweet 16, and and that might not even be the biggest upset of the entire tournament. I mean, that's what we're talking about. I think that's the tournament we're shaping up for. Is a lot of unpredictability ahead. Yeah, I, I agree. I just I don't think there's a lot of uh, top line. I think there's a big gap between those few teams at the top line and the next, you know, from the three seed to the 12 seed. A lot of interchangeable parts in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, l- l- let me tell you about these top eight seeds right now, folks. Let's, uh, let's go through these real quick. Uh, according to Lenardo. Gonzaga, we'll, we'll play buy or sell here. Gonzaga, okay. I'm buying. I'll buy Gonzaga. Okay. Um, Kansas, I'll sell right now. I, I'd buy Kansas. I would say it's more 
here's my take. And I know this sounds so blasphemous uh, as somebody that went to Kansas. I think right now it's more likely that Kansas doesn't make it to the second weekend than they make it to the final four. Wow. Okay. I'll go on that limb. You can crucify me for it later. Put me in old takes exposed. I don't care. Um, But that's how unconfident I feel about this Kansas team right now. I would sell Kansas. Um, Baylor, I'd buy. I'd buy as well. Okay. And then the last one seed, Arizona, I'd sell. I don't know enough about them. I know they're in a first-year coach. That's always an issue. Um, I don't know if they're just picking on a, a comp, but their conference has got how many teams going in? Three. Three. So it's not the out. So, I mean, yeah, it's one of those. Have they been picking up on, have they been picking on the, uh, the slow kids in the playground? Right. I think that's exactly what that's exactly what they've been doing is picking on the uh, little kids in the playground. You know, Arizona had played so good, uh, you know, throughout this season, and you know they've only lost three games all year. But then a couple weeks ago, they lose by sixteen to Colorado, uh, who's not that great themselves. And I said, okay, uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to slow the roll in Arizona here. I need to see a little bit more. Not saying they won't be good, that they can't make a run, but I need to see more before I completely buy in. So those are your uh, current one seeds. Here's the two seeds. Auburn, I buy. I love what Bruce Pearl has. They can score a lot of points. That's a team that is built for a deep run in March. They have the guards. I'll buy Auburn. I do too. Okay. Um, Duke. Same reason. Uh, the North Carolina game was exactly what I needed to see uh, to sell this team. Uh, I'm not. I'm not buying the stock in, in. I'm buying the dip in Duke right now. Yeah. So here's the thing on Duke. This is Shashevsky's last tournament. His last few games. He's getting every call in every game. You watch. If it's a close game and there's a foul call, he's getting the call. But I'm, I'm selling Duke as well. Kentucky, uh, man, this team's got what you want. They got a great big in Oscar Shibway, who's as good as any big in the country uh, right now. Ty Ty Washington is really good. I mean, they got a lot of talent on that Kentucky team. They have the guards and the bigs both. Calipari's been there, done that. Um, we've seen this with these Calipari teams where – you know, maybe they started out slow. You know, they've been a different team since, uh, you know, that Duke game, as uh, Hutton was mentioning early on. They're, what, 25-5 and five since that loss to Duke at the beginning of the year. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I saw firsthand what they did to Kansas with that – the way they went into Allen Feldhouse not too long ago. You know, what was it, six, seven weeks ago. Uh, I am buying that's a team that could win the national title. I I like Kentucky. I was going to say Kentucky, no, without looking at a bracket, Kentucky would be my pick for the national championship. Okay. And then, uh, the other two seed, uh, the last one there, Wisconsin, uh, Greg guards done a good job. Um, you know, this is a, a very good physical, uh, team. They've played a lot better the last couple of weeks. Um, I could see them as a Final Four team. That wouldn't surprise me. I'd buy that. I would be shocked if they're winning the championship if they're pulling the Nets down when it's all said and done. But 
Um, Wisconsin's starting to click at the right time. I'll buy Wisconsin. Yeah. Wisconsin's one of those teams that the style of the, the play can be um, be a tough out for other people. They're going to slow it down a little bit. Not as athletic as you would see, but they're going to go out there and shoot the ball well, and they're going to play sound. Yeah, Wisconsin team who could do some damage. Yeah. They're a matchup tonight. Right. So there you have it. That's a little uh, buy or sell action on uh, the NCAA tournament. And uh, next week we'll have a complete breakdown of the bracket from top to bottom of all uh, 68 teams when uh, we bring you to the show next week. And I'm looking forward to that. Uh, our final segment of the show this week, Thomas Bridges is out, but no need to fear. Coach Bo is here with <laughs> the Tom Fullery story of the week. And Tom, or, or Bo, there I did it second time today. There you go. Bo, we don't have to go too far. Uh, very fitting for our uh, Tom Fullery story this week. Hey, Sue, I'm, uh, I'm reading this right off the, uh, the Dallas Morning News. Uh, so a 25-year-old congressional aide who grew up in North Texas has sued Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, alleging he is her biological father. Attorneys for Alexandra Davis filed a lawsuit Thursday in Dallas County saying that Jones and her mother had a relationship in the mid-1990s from which she was conceived. According to court documents, Jones and Davis's mother, Cynthia Davis, reached a settlement to financially support the mother and child as long as they didn't publicly identify Jones as the father. Alexandra Davis is asking a court to find that she isn't legally bound by the agreement between Jones and her mother if she were to attempt to legally establish that he is her father. She doesn't want to be sued or lose her financial trust. She is also seeking a declaration from the court that such settlement agreements should be unenforceable in Texas. The lawsuit was temporarily sealed Wednesday ahead of a hearing scheduled for March 31st, court record show. Let me keep going here. Oh, yes. Okay. The Dallas Morning News obtained the lawsuit through the county's online court record system before the, before the file was sealed. Alexandra Davis and her attorney could not be reached for comment by phone or email Wednesday afternoon. Her mother declined to immediately comment. Attorneys listed in the court records as representing Jones could not be reached for comment by phone or email Wednesday afternoon. Jim Wilkinson, a personal spokesman for Jones, declined to comment. Jones made millions drilling for oil as a young man and as a real estate developer. The oil business set him up to buy the Cowboys in 1989 for $140 million. The enterprise is owned by Jones, his wife, Jean, and their three children. The Cowboys haven't won a Super Bowl since 1996. <laughs> the ranks them as the most valuable sports franchise in the world. Quick pause. I love that the article threw that in there. The lawsuit comes as the Cowboys faced recent controversies over a 2016 legal settlement involving four cheerleaders. It came to light last month the Cowboys paid the cheerleaders a $2.4 million settlement in response to four cheerleaders' allegations that the franchise public relations chief, Rich Dalrymple, filmed them as they changed clothes inside a locker room. Jones has said he has uh, Jones has said he takes the allegations seriously. Cynthia and Alexander Davis starred in the third and final season of Big Rich Texas, a reality-based show in the Dallas-Fort Worth that followed five wealthy women and their daughters. At the same time, representatives for Cynthia Davis said she was living off 
was living off a trust fund. <laughs> Lawsuits allegations, according to court documents, Cynthia Davis was married but estranged from her husband when she met Jones. She was working as a ticket counter agent for American Airlines, the airport in Little Rock, Arkansas, court documents said. Jones pursued Cynthia Davis and the pair began a relationship, according to court documents. It's unclear how long the relationship lasted. Alexandra Davis was born on December 16, 1996, and shortly afterwards, Cynthia Davis and her husband filed for a divorce. During the divorce proceedings, it was determined through a genetic test that Alexandra Davis was not the child of Cynthia Davis's husband. He was not ordered to pay child support when the divorce was finalized, and Alexandra Davis did not have a legal father, court documents said. After receiving the test results, Cynthia Davis told Jones that he, that he was Alexandra Davis's biological father, according to the lawsuit. According to the court documents, Jones had told Cynthia Davis he was not able to have children. Jones and his wife married in 1963. The lawsuit says Jones and his lawyers negotiated a settlement with Davis that would exchange money for silence. Quote, Jones had his friend and lawyer Donald Jack act on his behalf to help Cynthia Davis with her divorce proceedings, according to the lawsuit. Jack declined to, declined to comment Wednesday afternoon. About $27,000 was used to help Cynthia Davis with her, with her divorce. Court documents said an additional $30,000 was given to her to continue negotiations in good faith. Quote, the lawsuit alleges that it was Jones's best interest for Cynthia to finalize the divorce before he was legally declared or identified as Alexander Davis's father. Jones and Cynthia Davis worked out a deal, quote, uh, stating that Jones would provide financial support for Cynthia and Alexander Davis as long as they did not publicly reveal that he was Alexander Davis's father, court records, a court document said. Re breaching the deal would result in financial support being cut off and Jones or Jack would sue. A settlement agreement dated August 14, 1998, listed J Jack as the authorized agent for the, quote, punitive father, unquote, which was Jones, court documents said. A punitive father is a man whose relationship to a child has not been established, but he is alleged to be the child's biological father. In the agreement, the punitive, the punitive father denied paternity. In exchange for confidentiality, a sum payment of $375,000 would be paid to Cynthia Davis once the settlement was executed and two trusts were set up, funded by Jones for Alexander Davis, court documents said. Alexander Davis was to receive certain monthly, annual, and special funding from the trust until she turned 21 and yearly lump sums when she turned 24, 26, 28. The grantor of the trust was Jack, which is the lawsuit, which the lawsuit alleges was to hide Joseph's identity. The wow. lawsuit says we're almost there. The lawsuit said that Jones barred Alexander Davis, who was one year old at the time the settlement from ever legally seeking uh, to establish parent, uh, paternity. Alexander Davis has spent her life concealing her father's identity and that Jones' only role in her life was to shun her or coerce her to ever disclosing his identity, the lawsuit said. Alexander Davis grew up in the Dallas area. She graduated from SMU, according to court documents. Jones's home is a few miles from the campus. 
and I lost the feed here. Okay. And we're going to uh, cut it off there. So in short. back there. Yeah. Uh, so we've got, in short, uh, Jerry Jones apparently had a daughter out of wedlock and was with a woman who was married at the time. Strange, but married. I, when I first saw this story, I saw it reported by ESPN and I didn't read the whole thing. I'll tell you that the first thing I thought of was the ex-husband. Yes. And fuck, I didn't know that they were divorced before and he, and he found that he wasn't the child's father. And the first thing I thought of was how shitty is it? Jerry Jones is a multi-billionaire and here's this guy who had this daughter for 18 years that was his daughter. And we come to find out in this article from Dallas Morning News that that wasn't the case. But that was my original thought. Like the ex-husband got hosed. <laughs> right. Initially. A lot to unpack here though. Go ahead. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. First off, on a serious note, uh, if it is true that this girl did not grew up around her biological dad, because uh, it's all allegedly, uh, and I feel I feel terrible for her if that is the case, if yeah. that is. Uh, now that we've gotten that out of the way, now that we can laugh and such. Um, <laughs> I would say, wow, you know, J Jerry Jones, uh, to go to that extent to not have the, uh, the news out there that he had this... Uh, this other child apparently and that only $300,000. I mean, I, I would say Jerry got off pretty easy here. And what was this, uh, what was going on here for to only get $300,000 out of Jerry Jones. I mean, uh, that sounds like a ripoff here. That to me is what, where I hesitate on if this case is real or not in the sense of why would you, I mean, cause there's no secret in the nineties, Jerry was, you know, he was, I don't know if he was a billionaire back then, but he was a millionaire then. He could have got a lot more than that. My God. <laughs> well, I look at it is that, yeah, they got off cheap first off. I think it was because the woman was married. And even though she was estranged from her husband, uh, it looks like Jerry was smart enough to know that they better finalize this divorce before I got to hand more of the bag over. Right. But the impressive part to me is Jerry here had a good bagman. Very good bagman. A very good bagman. This this the bagman is got the a round of applause for the bagman here, who put in the work. He got Jerry the night. They, they never got this to come out. This is from the nineties. We're in two thousand twenty-two. The bagman set the trusts up in his name for Jerry. Um, the bag man has taken care of all this and the bag man got her to take $375,000. I mean, the this bag, bag man, man hell of a job. He could teach Michael Cohen a thing or two. Man, you know what? That is really well put. This is who Donald <laughs> Trump should have hired. Donald Trump should have called Jerry Jones and be like, who's your bag man? This is who I need. Wow. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it's bad timing to be involved with the Dallas Cowboys and any kind of uh, any kind of issues with the ladies right now. Do you think the? Thing. I, 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 no, I hate to sound like that that dick here, but 
Was the kid the curse? The Super Bowl curse? <laughs> I I th- I think that Jerry I think that Jerry Jones pissing off Jimmy Johnson was the curse. But yeah, I see your point. <laughs> Maybe he should have kept his uh, kept his pants up. And, and, and who? Here's another question I have in reading that. Who has enough time to talk to the holla at the girl at the airport? Come on now, you got you at the airport. You got time to talk to the lady at the counter? I mean, look, I'm polite to most people. I'm polite. I would definitely be polite in this situation, but I ain't got time to holler at nobody. I got to get on this plane and go. Right? If you thought you were going to just roll back into, how you going to do? You get to roll back and hey, baby, I just happen to be in town again. Come on, man. I thought Jerry would fly private. You would think so. You would think that he'd have his own terminal there in Little Rock, huh? <laughs> yeah, this has got the game mixed up all around for Jerry. I thought he was smarter than this. Jerry, my man. But the man, I, the, the man in this though is the bag. The bag man deserves some props. Um. I told my mom and dad about this story, and with my last name being Jones, I just had to check. I just had to ask my mom. Jerry Jones isn't my dad, right? And I bet that pissed your dad off. <laughs> and uh, I asked them both. I just wanted to make sure. They said yes. Jerry Jones is not your dad. So, uh, so well, I will not be getting three hundred thousand dollars from Jerry Jones. Now, here's what I wonder too: in the legalese and all this. This was an agreement made between, allegedly, between Jerry and the mom here. Yeah. Um, and the daughter, in this case, is suing Jerry. You know, she uh, wants, you know, it to be you know, legal and all that stuff here. I don't see how she can be held to an obligation that her, you know, parents or adults agreed to that she obviously could not consent to as a kid. I think that she's got a case here. Well, I think there's. I think the case that she doesn't have is about the trusts. The trusts are not hers. Right. She's only a beneficiary of that trust. So the, the trustee or the grantor of that trust could change the rules based on those sort of things. Right. I think that's what she's likely. There's some of my financial advising background there for you. Um, that is likely what she's fighting. No, right. I don't think she's bound by that at all. She's, she's not going to be bound by the idea of a, an NDA here. But I think what she is bound by is that if she does go public, she loses the benefit of that trust. Yeah. And so, which in all reality, I don't know how she it would be such bad PR for her to for for Jerry to give up that trust. I would be shocked if she loses a penny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it would be, and I don't know how much that money's grown to. We don't know how much money that is, but if her and the mom were on TV as trust fund people. They must have managed to shut out a trust with three hundred seventy-five thousand in it. So, yeah, I, hey, look, I'm, I'm all about get your bag, but uh, in this one, I don't. It's a tricky one. I think that I understand where the daughter's coming from. At the same time, I, I you don't want to upset the apple cart sometimes as well. So I tell you what, though. Um... I'd rather be Jerry Jones in this case than uh, Robert Kraft in Florida. Yeah, Robert Kraft's getting married. Did you hear that? I did hear that. I saw it on Twitter, of all things. Someone announced it for him. Who announced it for him? It was like someone famous that said that Robert Kraft is getting married. 
like a friend of his. I can't remember who it was now, but yeah, I saw like some report that said this person who's a friend of Robert Kraft says he's getting married. I saw yeah, a video I, recently. It was an older video. Uh, Belichick was asked, what are the three keys to the Patriots' success? Mm -hmm. He said, it's Brady, Belichick, Portnoy. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes. Okay. Yeah. You know how I feel about Portnoy. Oh, I know. You said that to, you said that you get a rise. It's too damn late to get a rise out of me now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I think I see where you're going though. You're gonna be Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft. At least Kraft's out of that whole thing with the um, you know the, the massage parlor. He's through that. So whatever that cost him, he's done. Yeah, he doesn't have to go to massage parlors anymore. He's married man. No. You know, good for him. You know, we should all find happiness. Or at yes. least buy as much of it as we can. So we should all have a happy ending to our lives. <laughs> there you on go. that note, that is a great way to end today's show. Big thanks to Jonathan Hutton of Outkick 360 for joining us. Check him out, outkick.com. And Outkick 360 is the show Monday through Friday, three to six Eastern, two to five Central Time on the Outkick Network. And uh, Bo, thanks for uh, hanging out with us. Uh, what's coming up on the uh, Coach Bono show this uh, Friday? Hey, we've got uh, Token Girl, Ellen Wingenders in with me. We've also got Uncle Rico stopping by. We're going to talk a whole bunch about these quarterbacks. We're going to get into the quarterbacks. We're going to get into the, uh, the gambling stuff with Calvin Ridley. Talk a little bit about basketball, but uh, a lot of football we talked about. And um, after last week where we – we're just talking, you know, there wasn't as much going on. The floodgates open this week. So we're busy talking about that. That they did. It'll be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, as always, you can subscribe to the Jones Report. New episodes out each and every Thursday. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. You can also find us on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com forward slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live at Studio underscore Soapbox, and Instagram, Jones underscore Report and Tyler Jones Live. And uh, don't miss uh, the Conference USA Men's Basketball Championship game on uh, Saturday night. Myself, TJ Reeves, we'll have a call. Looking forward to that on the uh, TuneIn radio app. All of them, make sure to tweet out that link so you all can hear that and enjoy uh, some uh, March Madness action this weekend. And uh, make sure to check out the Studio Soapbox Network, my show, Bo's show. Also got the uh, Let's Go Racing show with David Starr uh, available. And uh, also Raw Tools with Luke Slayball. Luke did a hell of a job covering the combine for us and represent the network out in Indianapolis. Uh, definitely proud of him and the work that he did. And uh, for the network the last week, Daytona one week and the Combine the next. We've had three shows on the road the last uh, couple of weeks here. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, and the Bevo boys did a great job as well. So check out all those shows. We certainly would appreciate it. For Jonathan Hutt, Brian O'Connor, I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.